Hey, this is Minerd Chambers from Turbo Kid, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome to the Station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm Nasty Neal, and I'm joined by actually one of my favorite actors, Michael Ironside. It's very cool to have you here. Hey, great. Is this like a radio broadcast? Is it going to be as a, or a podcast? Or podcast. Ah. It'll be, yeah. Hello, hello, everybody. Very cool to have you here. So The Harrowing is available at Christmas Day on Video On Demand. A very cool movie. Can you give us a quick idea of what it's about? What it's about? Um, the psychosis of murder and how it affects a um, a detective, a police detective, and he's doing some investigating. That's Matthew that plays the part, and how it affects him and his psyche and his way of looking at things. It's kind of an interesting premise. John um, John Keyes is a friend of mine who wrote directed this. Uh, I've worked with him a couple of times before. One is once as a producer, and once as a as a writer on another project years ago. And uh, and he wanted, I think the the premise was the idea of what happens to people that see horrific situations over and over and over and over again, and how it affects their their way of accepting it and looking at you know society or looking at their own reality and how how it affects their the way of approaching life and stuff. So, and in the Matt plays the lead character, who's uh, an investigative um, police officer, detective, and I play his boss. I play the division boss. And uh, I took the script because it was a. Have you seen the film? Yeah, I really, I really liked it. I watched it last night. 
Yeah, I, I basically think because there's a, there's a, you know, there's a duality going on with Matt, and mm -hmm. the character, the character I'm playing is of is Hogan. I just, there's a, I have to be real and be the authority figure, and I also have to be somebody who's part of Matt's delusion, uh, and it's a fine line between the two. So it was kind of an interesting. A kind of an interesting problem as an actor, so that was interesting. That's why I choose. That's how I choose them. I read the script that it's confident and well done, and the challenges me in some area, and allows me to sort of stretch in some area. And like, huh, I wonder if I can make that real. And then after that, it's the people involved. And you know, uh, John's an old friend, and uh, if you want to keep something, you got to kind of give it away. So that's the way I approach things like this. Mm -hmm. You know. I really like that they keep, uh, you know, as an audience when you're watching, you're not sure which is real, if it is in its mind, or if, it, if this is reality, if they're, you know, uh, if there's... Yeah, uh, who is trying being victimized? Yeah. Who's, yeah. Who's, yeah, who's who's the true victim here? And it, and often, it's the victim is, you know, he ends up victimizing himself in some areas. I don't want to get too much away from him. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And uh, Matthew's it's a good little yarn. It's a, it's a good, yeah, Matt's great. It's a good little yarn. You spend, it's a good way to spend an hour and a half. You know? I mean, there's a lot of more films out there. I'm, I'm part of the Academy. I'm looking at a lot of the films that sent to us this year. And there's been a lot of crap out there this year. <laughs> a lot of highbrow, you know, arrogant posturing and stuff like that. It's just absolutely shallow shit. You know? And uh, I don't know. I hope we, t I hope we turn it around. Yeah. So what kind of what kind of movies uh you said what kind of movies you're interested in, you know, to perform and if it's interest. So what kind of movies uh are you interested in watching? Just as you know, I, you know as, as a I watch everything. I watch everything. Everything from cartoons to opera to sci fi to drama to comedy. I just I look at my oh, Jesus. It was as a kid, look at I came from the East End of Toronto, working class family and to go into a dark room like a theater, the Benita Theater was this little theater in our neighborhood. We could get a triple feature, you know, for like for nickels and dimes when I was a kid. And you go in there, and for a couple of hours, you get to suspend reality. You know, you turn your trust over to the people in the film and stuff like that, and let them take you on a journey and a trip. And uh, and if it's a good film, they respect that. You know, you train your trust over them, and they respect it. And it's not a good film, it's they, they abuse it, you know. And uh, and films, for me, were always a way of escaping, you know, and learning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I fell in love with them at a very, very early age. That and theater. And books. Mm -hmm. I'm so, a big one on escaping reality. <laughs> did, you, did you know then, like, that's what you wanted to do? You wanted to make movies, wouldn't be an actor? No, no, I was a writer. I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. I had my first plays produced when I was 13, 14 years old. Um, had two or three of them done before I was 20. Um, ended up in a National Film Board in Canada workshop that was being put together by a woman who, worked, who was uh, one of Lee Strasberg's, who was uh, under Lee Strasberg in New York. She came up to Canada. Her name was Janine Manatis, M-A-N-A-T-I-S. And... Uh, she was part of the triumvirate and you had to get past to get, get near Lee. And uh, her, Gatch, Kazan, and Arthur Penn. And 
she uh, came up to Canada to have a baby and do some writing and decided there was more freedom for women in Canada and stayed. And she put together this workshop of writers, directors, and actors in Toronto. And uh, I was invited based on the my writing and some of the other stuff I'd done to come join it with all these other professionals and stuff. And I was the least professional of all of them. I had. <laughs> and uh, at that time, I was fairly, you know, fairly green. And she taught us all the same kind of training. The whole idea was that, look, at Canada up until the, the, the mid, mid to late 60s was very British theater trained, you know, tighten your ass, three-quarter turn to the eyes, speak up. And um, what was coming out of New York in the 50s and 60s was that whole Strasbourg, you know, find a reality, you know, and find a true light and put it underneath the story and stuff. And that I was very fortunate. I, I got trained in that right off the bat. I didn't have to fight an old way of being trained, an old theatrical way of being trained. And uh, and it's done me really well. It's done me really well over years. And that's why I pick parts. I pick parts that challenge me in some way. Like, oh, how, I wonder how I could bring that to life. How do I, hmm, you know, if it's well written and it's a challenge, I'll do it. Uh, and then secondary, who's doing it? You know, if it's somebody new that I don't know, that's how you get to know them, by working with them. Because yeah. um, everyone can, you know, it's a bit of a con. Show business is a complete con. And you never know when somebody's conning you or when somebody's like talking straight from the heart. It's very hard to tell until you're on set with them. You know, until you're in a situation where they need help or where they where you need help and they and they can either help you or they can be detrimental. And uh, and if that's how I get to choose people. So I I'll try and do one or two projects every year or so that keep my distribution up. And uh, and then I wander off and do these smaller films where I get to travel a lot, meet new people and uh Kind of give away what was so freely given to me for the last four years. You know? yeah. And uh, so, one of your uh, recent movies I loved is a uh, Turbo Kid, and it, you know, totally unique mm. movie, very stylized. And uh, what was that like to work on? It was wonderful. It was a wonderful script. I knew the one of the producers. They were out of Montreal. Uh, she sent me the script, and um, and. I'd I'd seen <laughs> I'd seen a couple of the actors. Um, I don't want to be too specific, but I I was, I was curious about a couple of the actors, um, uh -huh. and uh, and I wanted to do it. And actually, I think we're going to get a chance to do a second one. Mm -hmm. um, probably next year. It's a because it was a Canadian New Zealand co-production. But uh, what really sold me on the project again was that. Uh, was the script producer, and then I met the directors, all three of them, and they were absolutely fabulous. Uh, there was three people they worked as um, as a familial unit. Uh, one was very visual, the other one was very into the the actors and stuff, and the third one, which was one's uh, sister and the other one's fiance, uh, <laughs> she kind of was the bridge between the two, and. Uh, and it was great. It was a great experience. It was a wonderful experience because as you you see the film, it's a it's got a bit of a tongue in cheek. It's got a you know an over the top kind of joy about it. You know, mm -hmm. and uh, Monroe is just wonderful. He's mm -hmm. we've actually done about three or four films since then together. Oh wow! By you know yeah, we've done little. I've been on the 
smaller film and saying, hey, here's something you should try. And he'll come over and do that. And I got sent a film last year called Knuckleball by a, a director writer up in Canada, up in Alberta. And, uh, and he said, what do you think of this? And he's somebody I've met before and I want to work with. I said, I'll tell you what, but I know who should play the lead. And he said, who? I said, Monroe Chambers. And he said, oh, I don't know about that. And he says, really? Because it's, it's about a kid going to stay with his grandfather in a secluded farmhouse in the middle of winter. Mm-hmm. And, and there's, a hand, there's a helping hand that lives on the property. And the grandfather um, becomes incapacitated. And the kids, this 11, 12-year-old kid is left at the, at the mercy of this, this helping hand. And uh, if you haven't seen it, Knuckleball is really worth looking at. Yeah, uh, check it out. It's really, really a wonderful film. And I said to Monroe, I said, you should do this. And he said, oh, I've never done anything like that. I said, it's exactly why you should do it. <laughs> you know, because he'd been playing, he'd been playing like 21 Jump Street, good looking, yeah. know, very fuckable kind of guys. And Turbo <laughs> Kid was this joyous kind of, you know, um, innocent stuff. And he's such a wonderful actor. He really is wonderful. And he trusts me. He actually came down here and spent four months here last pilot season. And oh, wow. Stayed, stayed here with my family, and he's got himself a pilot, or this project he's going to be doing in the spring and stuff. But uh, So we did Knuckleball together. And uh, and he they added some hair to him and gave him a false set of teeth. And... <laughs> And uh, and it was great to see him grow. You know what I mean? It was great to watch him take risks. And uh, I, I really liked I'm, Knuckleball is another one of those films where it's, uh, you know, Michael Peterson um, directed it, and uh, it's well worth taking a look at. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I don't know. Sorry, yeah. I got off track there. No, that's great. I'll, I'll definitely try. I had Monroe Chambers on the show uh, when Turbo Kid came out. Oh, you did? So, yeah, so I, I thought the movie was, was so great. I, I've got a yeah. ton of questions here uh, from, from uh, people when I mentioned you're going to come on the show, so I'm going to try to ask a few of them. Uh, Carl Solomon uh, wants to know, uh, how did you make that dude's head explode just by calling him up from a payphone? <laughs> what are you talking about? Uh, from Scanners. Yeah, he's full of shit because it's the wrong reference. I didn't call somebody from a, from a payphone to blow somebody's fucking head up. <laughs> that's, that's 1979. He probably, how old is this guy? Because he probably saw it on tape or something. He's, he, he's an older gentleman who's in a lot of Coen Brothers movies. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, that was kind of interesting, Scanners. I remember when he actually did that, it was Louis Del Grandi. It's early in the film, and I've told this story many times. And uh, the university actually is the uh, Concordia in Montreal, and it was their, it was just freshly built, and it was one of their lecture halls. Mm-hmm. And uh, my daughter's actually going to that school now, and I, I wanted to see her. And I went in and looked at the lecture hall where we blew up Louis Dumbrandy's head, and it was weird after almost 35 years, 36 years, be sitting there and thinking, my God, my daughter's going to school now. But uh, I remember very vividly, um, they put a shotgun behind it. They built this head. They filled it full, I think it was liver and some other stuff. <laughs> and it was a really good prosthetic job. And Louis is a wonderful actor. Um, and 
we're doing this interview where he brings me down, and they wanted me to sit beside him while they do it in the two shot and the close up. And I actually took a look at it, the way they were setting up all the plexiglass, and I was very green in those days. And I said, I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll sit here if you pay me a million dollars. And they all kind of stopped and looked at me and said, What? I said, This could be the end of my career. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and they said, no, well, we haven't got that kind of money. I said, well, then I'm not sitting beside this head where you blow it up. They had a, a, a shotgun on a, a three-quarter angle behind the head, and they were going to blow the head by blowing it forward. That's why it kind of flops forward. And so they, I sat out of it, and when, when they actually did pull the trigger and blew it on camera, you know, it worked fine. You know, we shot me separate in the, in the single and stuff like that. I mean, we cut the single together. But the bloody pellets, the deer shot they had in that bounced all over the place and came back. And the chair I would have been sitting in had about six holes in it. And uh, so it bounced off the plexiglass in the wall. And they all kind of looked at me and went, oh, boy, you were right. <laughs> and <it> was, <laughs> uh, uh, that, was, that was an interesting character to play with back then. Yeah. What's, I was what's only, interesting? I was, I, was only, I was actually only hired to do three scenes in that film. The flashback um, and two other flashbacks. And David started rewriting the film on the run. So I never really knew what I was going to be playing. And I would get the script sometimes three or four days before I got on set and stuff. Um, so I basically played them, like I've said before, like to Shea Quivera, you know, just because you got to make, just because you made me. I, I told David, if I play this as a social comic, just because you made me doesn't give you the right to kill me. Mm-hmm. You know, just because you gave me power, just, and he said, "I love that." If you go ahead with that, yeah. And so that's and that's the way I played that character, and, and I had a really nice. It still resonates. It resonates to this. Definitely, thing. yeah. Well, I always think it's interesting is even though you're you're the villain, I think you're the most the character that you're most emotionally attached to. <laughs> it's also you know, because I was hired as a one day act. In those mm-hmm. days, I think it was one hundred and forty dollars Canadian for a one-day performance. They never redid my contract, and for the whole film, I think I got 5730 I think it was 5730 or 53.70 for the whole film. I made less than most people's per diem. I remember that the day before Christmas, we had fin- two days before Christmas, we were finished, I was having dinner with Jennifer Dale and her, and her husband at that time, and they said, uh, uh, what are you buying the crew for Christmas? And I sort of choked on my dinner, and I said, what do you mean by the coup of dinner? I'm trying to steal my fucking wardrobe. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm getting nothing. They said, what are you making for this? I said, 53 and change. And they said, thousand? And I said, no, hundred. And they looked at each other and her husband started choking on, on his food. And I said, what are you making? And she said, uh, 350. I said, thousand? <laughs> and she said, uh, yeah. And she says, I feel so bad. Is there anything I can do? I said, yeah, you can pay for fucking dinner in order to have it. <laughs> you know, it, was like, it was, I, I was grateful for the job and I was grateful sure. for the money, but I, I really was green and I was very Canadian and I didn't know you could make that kind of money. You know, we're talking 1979, 1980. You know, it's, uh, the joke about Canada in those days, they, I remember one American actor said to me, where are you from, Toronto? He says, oh, that's where the camera is in Canada, because you really only have one camera out there. This is an arrogant cocksucker in there. Uh, <laughs> my language. But we talked about it after the work was finished. But, yeah. uh, but 
but you know, Canada was a very, very green, very new place. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm so grateful I, I come from there. I really am. You know, I got, I was, I have had gratitude for every job I've ever got. <laughs> I was always afraid they're going to find me and send me home. You know, <laughs> right. it's, uh, I remember I spoke a recall. Mm-hmm. You know, let me let me finish this. One. Yeah, I remember yeah, I a recall. Vic Armstrong, who was the stunt coordinator and second unit director, we were doing the the sequence where my arms get torn off, and mm-hmm. we did that second unit where I go up and I slide up behind the wall, the arms get chopped off, and my real arms are behind me. And we took a, it took a couple of days to get that all set up properly and everything. And climbing up the ladder to get into the rig, I kind of stumbled a bit, and my, my knees were bad. And after it was over, Vic said, you look kind of frightened there. I said, Vic, I can't roof anymore. Because I'd been a roofer in the 70s and stuff and to support my acting and stuff. And he said, I beg your pardon. I said, roof, my knees are gone, Vic. I can't, I can't roof anymore. He said, well, let's have dinner tonight. And let's just go on the roof. So I had dinner that night. He said to me, can we address this roofing thing? And I said, yeah. I said, my knees are shut. He said, Michael, you're on a... Um, <laughs> I won't mention about it. He said, you know, a six, six and seven figure film, co-starring with Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, uh, was one of the hottest directors in the world. You know, you've got this and this and this work behind you. You've got two contracts in front of you. You know, you're a well-accomplished, trained actor, and you're afraid of not being able to roof. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I went, yeah. And, and, I, and I, I remember getting quite emotional. And I felt safe with Vic, Vic's a very good friend. And I felt very safe and I and I said, I've always had this fear that I'm I'm not supposed to be here. Even though I'm trained up the up the, the ass, you know, and mm-hmm. you know, I've done all this work. It was this belief because I have such a, a joy of work. I have such a joy for our industry. But the fact that I get the privilege to do it, I've always I've always been afraid that it's gonna be taken away from me. You know. <laughs> And uh, so he convinced me that night. He said, no, you're going to, you know, you're not going to have to roof. Uh-huh. <laughs> but uh, but uh, I remember it. it was amazing. It was like a weight being taken off my shoulders. Mm-hmm. You know, it was kind of like, because denial is not, is not a river in Africa, man. It's a, it's a real deal. You know, it's like when you when you come from someplace where, uh, opportunity is, is so rarely given to, like, I'm a working class Canadian from East End of Toronto. You know, I lived in books. My father was had a grade three education, but was one of the best read people I've ever met in my whole life. You know, um, and my mother, you know, and they encouraged their children to read and ask questions and, and to do research and stuff. So we were, we were very, very fortunate. And I've always, and, and when I was so used as a young kid that, Things that you had joy in were usually very limited and taken away from you. And uh, I grew up with that well into my 30s, where I thought, "Oh my God, don't don't fall in love, don't don't enjoy this too much, because eventually it's going to be taken away from you." And uh, so far, I, it has not been. I'm, I'm still at it. I'm still. Yeah, and I'll probably and you, be doing until they throw dirt in my face. <laughs> right, and then and I don't think there'll be any more roofing in your future. Hopefully. Well, no, actually, I've had both my knees replaced, so I can't oh, okay. find that that well anyway. Yeah, it's been uh, wonderful to talk to you. I'm very uh, honored that you did the show. And, uh, look, I'm sorry at, to look, get look, look at, look, hey, look at, look at, I'm, 
I think this film, this film, you know, the harrowing is worth seeing. Yeah. It really is worth seeing. It really is. It's a, it's a good lark. It's a good, it's, you know, it's a good journey. And it's, you know, and I think John Keyes and Matt and myself and some of the people in the film did a very good job. And I'd love to see it successful so that John and Matt get a chance at something else. Mm-hmm. I really do. They deserve more opportunities. They're honest performers and honest filmmakers. Does that make sense, what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, definitely. Uh, you know, this industry that's got so much being driven out there by distribution and not by content. This is a film that honestly tries to entertain and I think does a pretty good job. Yeah, I mean... And on that note, the, I think I'm... Yeah? Yeah, I was going to say, doing the show, I get a lot of uh, screeners for movies and a lot of them aren't really, you know, just I watch and I kind of wonder why they're made, but uh, Herring definitely st- stood out. Uh, I thought it was a great movie. All right, well, thanks for letting me talk to you. From ancient terrors to the search for modern-day conspiracies, the tomb of Nick Cage is the new sound in horror rock. Uncover the mystery of old world horror for the new world order on iTunes, Amazon, and more. we should have listened. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Hopefully! They're coming tonight! Hopefully! They're coming tonight! Hopefully! They're coming tonight! Hopefully! Find out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. The tomb of Nick Cage. They're coming tonight! Hi, this is Don Coscarelli, director of Phantasm, the Beastmaster, Bubba Hotep. You're listening to Without Your Head. All right, we're back here once again here at the Station of Decapitation, Without Your Head, and I'm still Nasty Neil. And I would remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And a big thanks to Michael Ironside on the show. That's pretty awesome. Totally badass. Yeah. That's one of those people like, you know, when you think about kind of dream guests, like who would be the coolest people to have on, he'd have to be on that list. Definitely. So we didn't have a long time, but uh, from what I heard, people dug the interview, and we're going to have Michael back on for a longer one down the road. Sweet. I look forward to that. Yeah. Uh, tons of stuff to talk with him about. You know, we uh, brushed on a few things, but uh, his new movie, The Harrowing, is very cool. I definitely recommend it. Really? Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yep. We talked a little bit about uh, Turbo Kid and a little bit about scanners. And uh, so we'll go more into depth and in all these things when we get it back on. Awesome. That sounds good to me. Yeah. Plus, what, plus whatever comes up. The man's and everything. I know. And then every time we talk to somebody, they're like, oh, I loved him in Top Gun. I'm like, really? I didn't even know he was in Top Gun. Yeah, I didn't either. I mean, I'm not a huge Top Gun fan, so I right, probably same here. yeah. It's not like I hate it, but uh, I think I saw it when I was a kid, and then I I never needed to see it again. <laughs> I was the same way. Yeah, I saw it when it came out, and that was the last time I saw it. Yeah, maybe maybe I need to see it. I don't really yeah. think I do. Though. Nah, maybe we'd see it for for Ironside anyway. Right, right. See that part. Yeah. So people are paying attention to the Twitter and my Facebook. Uh, there was a lot of different guests are going to be on tonight, but uh, everyone had to reschedule. But it is the um, it is the holiday season, so it's, oh, it's understandable. Yep. Understandable. 
We don't so, begrudge them. Exactly. Exactly. So uh, we'll see people on next week. And uh, we are going to have a special show on Christmas Eve. Ooh. And it will be uh, cast members of Anna and the Apocalypse. Nice. I love it. It's a great Christmas horror musical. Nice. That's that's page. too cool. Right. There's not too many of them. You're not going to get mixed up with uh, with many other films. No. No. Yeah. I love it. I hope people really get out there and see it. Uh, I, it it is huge at you know the festivals, and then it got an actual theatrical release. So mm-hmm. uh, you know that's great for everybody involved because you know pretty low budget movie. Oh yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, but great production values, though, you know. Mm-hmm. Good stuff. Good songs, so a, too. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the songs are great. So it really worked on all levels because you can't have, because I've seen some musicals where the music's not very good, and it, mm. then you, it's not that great. But you have to have, like, uh, the music, and then, you, you know, and you have good uh, story and the characters you're into, and it works as a horror movie, too. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. And likable characters. So. When various characters die or, or during the zombies, you feel bad for them. That's important. Yeah. You know, otherwise, it's like, oh, who gives a shit? <laughs> yep. I hated that guy anyway. Right. Glad he's dead. Yeah. And there's a little bit of Lord of the Flies element to the, to the movie, in my opinion, because you have the group of, like, the jocks who are, like, uh, they're into killing the zombies, and they're, like, uh-huh. the warriors. And then you have like the group of more of the intellectuals and they're trying to figure out ways to like run away and, and, uh, you know, avoid the zombies. So, oh, I like, I like it. that. Yeah. So let's see here. There's a couple new, um, uh, trailers out there. People are talking about, and mm-hmm. I don't know what Troy thought. I know what I thought of them both. And so we're going to talk about them here in a second. And one, I was, I, one of, it's weird because one I was really looking forward to, and the other one I didn't even know was being made. So, That's the same way here. <laughs> yeah. Until so, you showed me that, I did not know that one was even uh, going to be a thing. No, I never heard anything about it. It was very odd. Kind of neat, though. It just pops up out of nowhere. Yeah. So, a Hellboy, I was uh, really excited about because mm. uh, I love the other Hellboy uh, movies. I, I mean, I say excited, but I was also. Uh, you know, I was let down that the original people aren't involved. Yeah, same here. Same here. I mean, we love Guillermo and we love um, Perlman and stuff. Yeah. So I do think that's a great cast, though. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And, Ian McShane is, you know, uh, his dad and stuff. Yeah. And, and you know, the guy from, I don't know his, his, the actor's name, but he's from um, Stranger Things. He plays the, yep. the cop. That's yeah, he's cool. great on that show. Yeah, and the monster, a lot of monsters. That looks cool. Yep. But I gotta say, I thought the movie looked like shit. I I didn't see anything that we haven't really seen in the Del Toro one. Yeah, it, it looked it, like it was a lot of the same shit over again. And like, it seemed much more corny too. Yeah, it did. It did. It seemed like it was like way more tongue-in-cheek or something or maybe corny is a good word yeah which is weird because the poster looked like it was going to be actually grittier yeah yep yeah maybe that's what i just assumed it was going to be because like otherwise we'll just stick with what you were doing anyway yeah and it's weird when they you know they do these reboots and they call it the same thing Mm mm-hmm 
but this movie's like so fresh. Like I know probably the original one's a, a little older now, but still not that old. No. It wasn't that long ago they made the third one. Wasn't the oh, third? Uh, the second one. Second one. Yeah. Wasn't that long ago. No. Nope. Yeah, I don't I don't really understand after watching the trailer, I'm kind of wondering why they made this movie. Yeah, it's weird because I know people have made the argument. They're saying that um, who's the guy who played? Uh, you see, you mentioned his name. Who played Hellboy in the originals? Oh, Ron Perlman. Yeah, Ron Perlman. The uh, they're saying, you know, and they always said this that he's not like a commercial name, right? So, but they went with him, and those movies did well. Yeah, but so if they want to make the argument this time. But then they picked a guy that I don't think anyone knows by name. I know people know Stranger Things, but no one knows that, that actor by name. Nope. I would think he'd be on par with uh, Ron Perlman right now. Yeah, I think maybe Perlman would have a bigger like following because, you know, he's done more things. Mm-hmm. So, so everyone knows here because they're asking if Mar- uh, Maria did not reschedule. She'll be on tonight live. Maria Olson uh, at, at ten at ten Eastern, seven uh, Pacific. We talked about a lot of stuff. Yeah, so uh, yeah, I wish they would have. If they were going to do a new one, they just uh, continued with the people that yep. were in it. And I, I was not, uh, I was not really thrilled by the look of it. It's <laughs> no, cool I wasn't either. Yeah. yeah, the monsters look good, but they didn't really. Nothing really looked that different than. Uh, the Del Toro ones to me. Yeah, I think some of them were tried to look like Del Toro monsters, and then some of them I thought were just very fantasy monsters, like big ogres or something. Yeah, like giants. I don't know, and very CG, which I I know these movies are and everything, but uh, I I can't say it looked very good. No, no, I was I I kind of went both ways to start with. I was like. I don't want to see this. And then, you know, when I saw the movie poster, I'm like, oh, geez, maybe it's going to be good. And then mm-hmm. now I'm back to doing the, nah, why'd they do it? Yeah, I don't get it. And they're his buddies not in it either. Um, I, I didn't so, see them in the trailer. Yeah, from the looks of it, because they even say, I thought we we were fighting monsters, not fighting with monsters. So I don't think any of like, the monster group is with them. I think Hellboy is the only like supernatural yeah, maybe so. Which is kind of kind of sad too, and doesn't look like he's really hiding away. Like you know, it, the other one, it was always kind of like that running gag, like that they wanted him to keep out of sight, and he just like kind of uh, show up and do things. And this mm-hmm. one, he looks even more out in the open. Yeah, because the one's like, I got a CID. Yeah, I don't know about this one. Nah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking no on this one. I agree. I agree. It's too bad because yep. uh, I like the Hellboy stuff. And now that superhero movies, you know, are the thing now, it's a perfect time to do a new one. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Horror movies are popular. Superheroes are popular. You can kind of do the best of both worlds, and it looks like they didn't do well by either world. Yeah, yeah, at no, least not, from this trailer, maybe. Right, you can always be surprised. Yeah, and then so the other one was a uh, new uh, MIB Men in Black. Yep, and um, 
Uh, it looked all right, but uh, it looked pretty much just like, a, I guess, a retelling of the original Men in Black. I don't know. Yeah, I, I love me some Chris Hemsworth, and I, I don't know. Besides that, didn't really show me too much. I, I don't Liam, know about it either. Yeah, Liam Neeson. I like yep. Liam Neeson. Yep. Uh, Tessa Thompson from the Creed movies. Oh, okay, yep. So she's, you know, but, uh, yeah, and it's, it seemed like, you know, the term, the soft reboot where it's portrayed as a sequel, yet it's just a, a remake of the first one. And I, I kind of think that's what this is. Is that, that's an actual like thing it. now? Yeah. I mean, I've always talked about it, but now that it's, it's become an actual term, the soft reboot, soft where, they, reboot. where they make like a, a sequel to a movie but really it's just like a remake of the first movie like you know kind of a veiled remake yeah which does happen a lot now and this that's it what does. this seems like to me yep exactly like that and uh, I, when i watched the trailer and, and like i said i had no opinions going in because i didn't even know it existed uh-huh. and yeah i still i, I don't really have any feelings well, it's just kind of yeah yeah, yeah, and I think the song might have uh, hurt too because uh, I was not into the the music that they chose. Yeah, yep. The, you like, want your Men person. in Black music back? Yeah. You want you? Here come the Men in Black. Yeah. I don't know. Which I think I'd I'd rather have Will Smith doing that than what I saw he was gonna be. Oh my God! And now, did you see? Uh, the live action Aladdin. Yeah, and he's the genie. That looked horrid. And I don't know why he's the genie. Oh man, that looked like a like a spoof, like someone like Photoshop. <laughs> I thought it was gonna be one of those things where like the Mandela effect. Yeah, you remember when this came out? Yeah, yep, yep. It was like, no, it never did, and it shouldn't have. <laughs> But unfortunately, it's gonna, I guess. Yeah, yeah, that looked worse than the the Shaq Shazam movie. Yeah, yep. Looked very, very poor. Yeah, I I don't know. That's not my ideal genie, I don't think. No, it's weird because, like, it's just like, oh, that's Will Smith. Yeah. Like, he doesn't really become a character. It's just like, oh, yeah, that's Will Smith there. Yep. Yeah, I'm looking like a goof. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, so your daughter thought that would be neat if you were the genie. <laughs> yeah. Maybe they got a role for his son in it. That could be. He's Jafar. <laughs> yeah, I can't say the other two looked, you know, great either, but the Aladdin was wow. Yeah, and I was, I was kind of looking forward to the Aladdin, too. Mm-hmm. Looks we like, just seen the uh, the play and it was so good. And I was uh, like, oh, okay, this should be good too. Then yeah, it looked like people from a play as opposed to like a like a big budget Hollywood movie. Yeah, it did. It did. It very budget. Yeah, I'm not really understanding this one so far. What's this trend of just remaking all the classic Disney cartoons into live action? I don't quite get it. Yeah. It, I don't know. I I think they they got like that surprise hit when they did um, the Jungle Book, mm-hmm. and then it was like, well, we're gonna ride this for as long as we can. So it's a lot easier than making like original 
animated uh, classic things. Mm-hmm. If you just take an existing thing and then just do it again, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Kane says uh, they should have done a live action Aladdin with Andrew uh, Divoff, who played the Wishmaster. Now that would be sweet. Yeah, I'd be all over that. <laughs> I'd just like to hear him sing. Mr. Yeah, well, Aladdin, sir, what will your pleasure be? So, what are the what what are some uh, classic Disney cartoons you want to see live action? Are I, there any? I, I think I just want to keep them animated because they're great. Why would you want to mess with them? Yeah, I don't. I just don't. It's very weird. I just don't understand. Are people like this? Damn, you know, I'm sick of Disney animated movies. I want to see people. <laughs> yeah. Screw this Hercules, man. This is this is like they're singing and stuff. Oh no, they're still singing in this live action one. Wow. Hmm. What if they just re-released that uh, the Rock Hercules and just say it's the live action Disney one? That'd be awesome. Just throw some songs in there, you know. Yeah, I remember that year. There was like three Hercules movies that came out. It's like what? And I think they all totally flop. But it's just like. <laughs> Why, why, why was there such a demand for Hercules? I don't know. I, it, you know, I could see, like, wasn't this year the, uh, um, was it the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein? No, yeah, I believe so, yeah. So I could see, like, you know, and it's funny, it was the 200th anniversary of Frankenstein, nobody did shit with Frankenstein. No, what the hell? You think they would have been playing in their Dark Universe release of that? <laughs> this is like our third attempt to, to reboot Frankenstein yeah. in this universe. At least third attempt for uh, yeah. I think great. I think did they just finally give up on all that? God, I hope so. Uh, maybe the Mummy finally, because I think the Mummy was such a huge budget thing. Yeah. It's like that awful Dracula, I don't think, had the crazy, crazy budget. No, no. You know, it, wow, it was bad. It was, let's just say that's one that bit through. It was really bad. Yeah, it it was sucked. so bad. It was funny at some points in time. Like, yeah. They were marching the armies through with the blindfolds on and stuff. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was pretty comical, but yeah. it was so bad. Yeah, the, the, but it was uh, so it, bad for like fifty million instead of like so bad for like hundred and fifty million. Yeah. yeah. Yep. It was weird when they started putting those out. There's like, there's no market for horror. We're gonna make them action, and then like horror just like totally took off. And it's like, man, you guys are morons. <laughs> yep. It didn't make any sense and then anyway. They didn't learn from it. Oh, I know. It didn't make any sense anyway. It's like you can't make no matter what you want to do. Now you can have action in it, but. You can't make a wolf man. You can't make Dracula and Frankenstein. And people not think that uh, that horror is involved. Yep, exactly. And then they made the mistake that, you know, everybody does. It's like, oh, well, look what Marvel did, you know, with the Avengers and stuff. And it's, uh, well, they did it in this slow, like, natural process. They didn't just. You know, hey, let's just pretend you know all these guys, and now we're going to throw them all together in this movie, like they did it little by little. Yeah, they also made movies people liked. Yep, exactly. They didn't just, <laughs> did make you just know, total shit. Here you go. This like. is this crap. Now we're going to move on to the Avengers. No, dude. 
Yeah, it was weird because I remember when we went to see the mummy, I didn't hate it. Yeah. And uh, I didn't love it either. But then I watched it again. I was like, oh my God, this is awful. <laughs> what was I? How did I like this? I didn't, I didn't say I liked, but how did I not hate this one? Yeah, I think maybe it's because our expectations were pretty low. Yeah, I think so. Wow, it's really terrible. Yeah, it's it's pretty crap. The only good thing are like things that they ripped off of much better movies. Mm-hmm. You know, like the the dead friend there, which you know was like just kind of a rip off of uh, oh Griffin American Werewolf. Yeah, the American Werewolf, right? Yeah, it's, it's so even just Tom Cruise is so weird in it because he's like he's like the sixty year old man, but yet he's playing <laughs> like a. Like he's 30, and he yeah. looks like he's 30 at the same time. It's just odd. Yeah, and, and his character wasn't like a likable character. Oh, no, he's just an asshole. Yeah. It just, it, that movie just failed on every level, <laughs> I think. Yeah. And like, the woman was fine as a mummy, but who, who was like dying for a sexy mummy? Yeah, yep. It's an odd thing. Yeah, she was probably the highlight of the movie, but not like she was that great in it either. Yeah. They made her more of a villain as opposed to the original mummy. It's like a simp- it's like this guy, he's it's all based around love. Yeah. Like he loves this woman for centuries. So like almost all the universal monster movies, the the monster isn't necessarily a monster. It's you know, you right. just doesn't I mean somewhere invisible man's a monster, but Please yeah, but still, he's, he's a good guy before he goes nuts. Right. You know. But, you know, Frankenstein, yeah. even the mummy to a degree. I mean, the, there's a, a part of them that like you feel sympathy for. So oh, yeah, of course. This one was just, she was just a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then, like, yeah, then they kind of half-assed even that part of it. Ah, don't get us started on that movie again. Yeah, yeah, so I saw, I know you probably won't know about this, but I saw the uh, new promo pictures for the, the next season of Walking Dead, and I'm still a Walking Dead fan, and I was very excited because it's Alpha from the Whisperers, and this is the last great storyline in the comic book. That's the one you were telling me about, like, the last, like, great villain out of the, yes. the comics? Mm-hmm. So, uh, spoiler here if no one's ever read the comics. Close your ears, and if you want to watch without knowing. But in the comics of the, the Whispers, that you kind of saw a little bit of this actually in the, in the final episode of this season, was um, they think the zombies are starting to talk because they can hear them whispering. And they're also like, uh, and, you know, they're, the herds are starting to move like uh, towards people and stuff. So it's interesting. And what it is is uh, each group of people to survive the zombies they wear zombie skins and mm. they hide within the zombies and they whisper to each other. So they, if they talk too loud, you know, the zombies will know that they're not uh, zombies and then they can kind of move the herd by, you know, walk in different ways and stuff. Cause the herds go together. So it's oh. a, it's a really cool story. Uh, it's uh, unique. I don't think I've ever seen it before in, uh, in the zombie world. So after this, I think the, I think the comic really goes to shit. Uh, huh very boring but uh but uh it's they're really caught up to the comic pretty quick here on the show but so um i'm looking forward to this because i i love it in the comic yeah i like that concept that sounds pretty cool 
mm-hmm. and sounds like something you know that would be you know kind of legit right is there a really creepy element which i don't think they'll they can't do it with the character from the comic because the character's dead um carl but the uh, in the plus i just think it does it wouldn't work on a tv show it's too creepy Plus, I don't think they want to go too dark anymore after they lost a lot of the audience when Negan was, like, you know, ultra-violent. Yep. And so they get uh, Alpha's daughter, who's, you know, a young girl, and uh, like a teenager, and she um, she has the hots for Carl. And the reason why is because he reminds her of a zombie because he's, he's missing his eye. Oh, okay. And so she likes to, like, lick the inside of his eye socket. <sighs> That's pretty gross. Yeah, you know, and they have sex and stuff. So I don't think they they I don't think they would have done it anyway in the show. But now that Carl's, they don't know who else he'd do it with. Mm-hmm. I assume we'll dismiss that whole storyline. Oh, maybe they'll surprise. Kind of something that would be kind of neat to see. Oh though. yeah, it's yeah, it's great. It's uh, very very you know weird and and uh, it'd be pretty ballsy if they do it on the show. Oh yeah. And uh, this storyline is also when uh, Negan becomes like a good guy, which I'm not a big fan of. Oh, okay. It's kind of, I guess, like, see, I'm not a real big, you know, X-Men fan, but I think guess it's kind of like when Magneto turns good. It's like everybody loves this character. So, uh, Oh, yeah. But, I mean, if you, if you watch the man beat your friends to death with a baseball bat, Crush yeah, skull. I don't don't think I'd really ever warm up to him. I don't believe. Uh, I don't think you could ever like the man. <laughs> so we'll see, though. We'll see what happens. But I'm looking forward to it. Oh, yeah. No, that sounds that sounds kind of cool, then. Yeah. So last night, uh, I was uh, I, got, I had the pleasure to go to um, Dispatches from the Underground, which, um, if anyone in the Boston area in Somerville... Uh, the guys who put on the Boston Underground Film Festival every month they have uh, like uh, they show either shorts or some weird movie um, that doesn't quite make it into the festival. Oh, okay. It's, and so last night it was um, Dial Code Santa Claus, which I saw some other places are going to uh, be releasing at the theaters. And uh, I mentioned it last week. It was a cool backstory. It's never been. I never had a home release except for on like a bootleg, you know, uh, a VHS tape. And uh, That's awesome. it, was, it was wild, very, very weird, very, uh, very, um, violent, strange mm-hmm. Christmas horror movie. And, and I, and I, I have a soft spot for Christmas horror. I love the Christmas horror myself. Mm-hmm. And it, this like gigantic mansion that like is clearly like a model, <laughs> which, uh, which adds to the movie to me. That's pretty sweet. And then it's just like ungodly huge. Like there's just all these rooms. There's a giant boiler room that would be like in some like like factory or something. Like who the hell would have that in their home? No matter how big their house was. <coughs> okay, keep talking. I'm I'm digging it. And so the kids make all kinds of little um you know, gadgets to uh to hurt Santa. Most of them don't really do too much, like shoot some little darts into his neck and uh Tries to light him on fire, and uh, the one time he's called for help, and it's pretty sweet because he's just like, "Come to the mansion." So I just—it's just the only mansion in the in the city, I guess, in the whole village. <laughs> Maybe it is. I don't know. Yeah, it could be. Yeah, so come to the mansion wild. with the giant boiler room. 
Exactly. So the, it was funny though. The whole audience they they were really in shock when uh, Santa starts kicking the dog. Oh man! Oh, uh, they're like, <gasps> oh. they they were not pleased. And then then he then he kills the dog. They're like, oh, oh God, they were. Which I thought. I mean, I don't. Not that I, I love to see a dog get kicked, but it's a <laughs> movie. It's not like you really killed the dog. They're fine with like you know stabbing the kid and stuff. <laughs> Santa's trying to kill everybody, and that's all right. Hey, you know, don't 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 hurt the dog. <laughs> so yeah, I, I uh, recommended it if uh, if you get a chance. It, it is um, it is in French, so it's subtitled, which is fine by me. But if you're out there, you don't like subtitles, you know that going in. Yep. Uh, I like the Santa. The look of the Santa was really good. Uh, I, I didn't see the movie, but you know, just uh-huh. in the trailer. Yeah, there's a great scene of him spray painting his hair gray that they show like almost the entire thing of him doing his whole hair gray. Uh-huh. And I, I don't know. I just thought that was cool. Cause you actually see it and you could tell he really is doing it. Oh, and okay. then, um, and then the shot when he's revealed, you know, in full Santa gear and he's just sitting there, you know, and his, everything's gray now. And he's got this really kind of old school Santa with the, like the fur trim on. And yep. he's just like sitting there in the chair. It's really, yeah, it's really well done. Like creepy yeah, I scene. Like the I look of him. Yeah, so uh, check it out if it's in your area. I definitely will. Yeah, don't be in putts. No, don't do. You'll dig it, dig it. So uh, a couple people uh, died this week, unfortunately. Uh, Stephen Dash from Friday Thirteenth Part Two. My personal favorite, Jason. Actually, I think it's always creepier than the uh, the hockey mask. Yeah, I like that one, too. That's a great look. I know it's kind of taken from uh, the sun that dreaded... Uh, oh, I mean, the, the town. town yeah. The dreaded sundown. But uh, I dig it. I don't know. It's creepy. Too. So that's too bad. I met him yep. a few times. Can't. I mean, I don't really have any stories. I, uh, I ate breakfast next to him in Texas. Nice. But other than that, you know, I don't have too much... Uh, connection to the man but uh you know that's a shame and dan moffat i just saw today from john carpenter's the thing died oh no kidding oh i didn't even know that he was pretty up there like he's 89 i think oh okay still though that's too bad oh yeah it's a shame and he can't get much better than 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 john carpenter's a thing oh no no that's just such a tremendous movie no matter how many times i watch it yeah I always want to watch it again. Yeah, it's it's such a it's a great combination of everything. The creatures are are wild, and the acting's amazing. All the characters are great. Yeah. The story's great. It's not just like a story. Maybe the the effects or whatever, but and it's not just a movie that has cool effects. And the movie's kind of you know whatever. Yeah. It, it works on every level, which uh, makes it you know like a perfect horror movie. I think. Oh, definitely. That that's one you know you can revisit time and time again. It's just such a good one. Yeah. So I actually have a list here uh, for people listening who want to see Dial Code Santa Claus. It's um, well, a couple of them have already passed the 18th and 19th. Tonight it's playing in Toronto. Uh, tomorrow <laughs> playing in in Raleigh, North Carolina. The 22nd, Washington D.C. The 23rd, Santa Ana, California. The 24th in Ritz, Austin. 
uh, January 9th, which is odd. That'd be a month after, I mean, you know, a couple weeks after Christmas is over. It's playing in Winnipeg. And then the 19th of January, it's playing in Pleasantville at New York. Nice. Well, that's good, though. I'm glad it's getting, uh, you know, pretty big push there. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's cool when, like, some, like, this hidden gem gets out there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. And as Joe Bob talks about, like, he's like, you know, they always say everything that, that happened is like this hidden gem. <laughs> and usually it's a shit. But this, well, this one is. This one is a hidden gem. Yeah, it's true. Most of the time you hear that stuff and you're like, uh, you know, you probably believe it a few times, but then after a few times of being burned, you're like, okay, you know, if this movie really was that good, like I probably would have heard something about it. Right. By now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But this one, no, this it's weird. I've never heard of this. Yeah, this one's the real deal then. So uh, a movie that that I missed here, a new uh, Christmas War movie that um, was uh, mentioned on our uh, Facebook group, which you guys should join. It's uh, facebook.com slash groups slash without your head horror. Sophia Cacciola had mentioned it. And that's Puka. It's a original uh, horror movie on Hulu. Oh, nice. And it's about like this guy who dresses up as like this Christmas toy doll, mm-hmm. and like the the I guess the costume like consumes him. Oh, nice! Well, I like the sound of that one. Yeah, so I I, I need to check this out. Yep. Now, where can you find it? Hulu. Oh, okay. We all love Hulu. We do. I do not have the Hulu. Mm-hmm. I, you know, you don't have it? No, I should probably get it sometime. Yeah, you may just get it for a month and watch a bunch of stuff and get rid of it. Yeah, that's true. You could, you could watch the uh, Stephen King series. You could binge watch that. Oh, yeah, that's on there too, huh? On the, right. On the Hulu be like, yeah, let's get rid of this bullshit. <laughs> Hulu gotta go. <laughs> Enough of this. But yeah, that's, uh, that's cool. Let's see here. Uh, Critters TV series is coming to sci-fi. Oh, that's kind of cool. It looks good, I think. It, it's because it's uh, it's practical effects with the with the critters. Nice. Which I like. Yep. I think know. probably everyone likes. I doubt anyone's like, man. I really hope, wish that they made a CG. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, but you know, though, I have to admit, I have seen people, and I think it's just the age, like. I you know I grew up to you grew up with with uh, practical effects probably most of the people listening to the show did, but I do know some like uh, younger people who who dig CG, which yep. is odd to me. But I think it's because they grew up with it. Yeah, that's true. But I I don't know. Once you compare the two, I I just although maybe that's me being an old bastard. Yeah, I'm just trying to be nice because I just think it looks like shit mostly. <laughs> Uh, not always. I mean, there's some good CG, obviously, but uh, I think that I said this before, but I think bad practical effects still has a charm to it, where bad CG just looks bad. Yep, yep, yeah. I think I think that sums it up perfectly. Yeah, in my opinion, CG does not age well, because even stuff that I thought looked uh, good at the time, mm-hmm. 
Like, um, I I still think I've always thought the, the new Star Wars trilogy was horrible. Oh it's yeah, me. But I never thought they looked bad. But mm-hmm. now, if I see clips, I'm like, wow, they look really, they look really terrible. Do they really? Yeah, like the sets are clearly like not there. Oh man, I know your favorite Yoda, you know, kicking ass. Like, <laughs> doesn't look very good. I always remember you hating on that Yoda, man. Oh, I hate that. No, did you like that part? Because I just, it's like to me, it's I, like against everything that that Yoda means. Yeah, I, it never bothered me that much, but you know, it's not anything. I was like, yeah, who? But it never really. I never thought about it one way or the other. I guess. Yeah, it's like man, he's. The thing he's so small and frail, that's why he's like, that's why he's going to be the master of the force. If he can just like leap around and, and whoop ass. <laughs> yep. What the hell? Yeah, it looks so stupid. That is goofy, you're right. Yeah. I don't hear people. I remember at the time, though, people were loving it, but I don't know. If people oh, yeah. Knew. I will say I did mention those movies in it. There were a handful of people that like said they were awesome. I, I just can't wrap my my mind around that. No, no, that is not me either. That's even if you like don't hate them, I don't know how you could think they're amazing. Yep, yep. That's that's for other people than I. Uh-huh. So let's see here. Uh, Peter Jackson's going to restore his early horror comedies, Bad Taste, Meet the Feebles, and Brain Dead. That's good stuff. That sounds real good to me. Yeah, I, I don't think I ever saw him meet the Feebles. It's I honestly not one of my favorites. Really, I get to be honest, but it, it's cool to watch. It's, it's kind of it's uh like Dirty Muppets. Oh, okay. See, I'm not the biggest fan of Bad Taste. I, I think it's okay. I like Bad Taste, but a uh, Brain Dead's amazing though. Oh yeah, yeah, Dead Alive, Brain Dead. Yeah, that's that's one of my all time favorites. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Shining was added to the National Film Registry. What does that mean? So, you know, be uh, preserved. Oh, okay. Uh, see, that's one that uh, Troy and I probably differ. Oh, I know we do not probably. We do differ. <laughs> I, think it's, uh, I think it's one of the best horror movies ever made. <laughs> but uh, Troy's not alone. Cause it, uh, I, but I, I do think people who uh, love the book before the movie came out tend not to like the book. And people that weren't either in love or hadn't read the book when they watched the movie thing, you know, have a different view on it. Right. Right. No, I can, I can see that being a fair assessment too. Mm-hmm. Cause I know, I believe uh Barbie, uh Barbie and Tim hate, I know Barbie does. I'm not sure if Tim dry does or not, but uh, Barbie really dislikes it. But I, 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 uh, I will say like Nicholson's just awesome, but he's always just awesome. That's just Jack being Jack, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, in um, in um, Kane's uh, news here, he uh, he mentioned that the that that Hellboy reboots rated R, which is really strange because the uh, it doesn't look R. It looks very kiddish. Yeah, it does. I wonder if it's going to be R in the same vein as like, um, oh, what are those movies? Yeah, that Deadpool. I Deadpool. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Where there's just like. A lot of dick jokes and swing. <laughs> yep, a lot of like supposed to R for like you know like violence and stuff. Yep, R for all the wrong reasons. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, let's see. End of the Dark. Uh, upcoming Hulu anthology. Ooh. Uh, they're going to release 12 episodes for 12 different holidays throughout the year. Oh, rock on. That sounds pretty cool. So apparently there's already some out there. I gotta, I gotta, I have to say this. Hulu is very bad site to navigate. Is it? Yeah, it's very hard to find anything. You basically have to know what's there and search for it. Otherwise, oh. I can never find shit. Well, that's not good. You'd think it'd be like a little more like intuitive than that. Yeah, it's not user-friendly. Oh, man. So uh, that, that movie Puka is actually part of this series. Uh, uh-huh. It's the Christmas one. Thanksgiving, they had a movie called Flesh and Blood. Halloween, they had a movie called The Body. And then coming out, we have New Year's, New Year, New You. Uh, Valentine's Day, a movie called Down. Hmm. Something called Treehouse for St. Patrick's Day. That's a strange one for St. Patrick's Day. Don't yeah. really think of it being a tree. I think that might be Arbor Day. Exactly. And then we have I'm Fucking With You for April uh, Fool's. Oh, okay. I like the title. Yeah. You think they'll just spell it out like that? I'm probably not. <laughs> I don't know. And, uh, Chris Kane uh, recommends watching if we haven't seen I haven't seen any of them. No, no. Well, that sounds kind of cool, though. I like that. Yeah. So uh, coming to Netflix in uh, January, we've got uh, Godzilla. I'm not like sure the original or? Oh, okay. Yeah. I know what you did last summer. That's one that, uh, see, I never thought anyone was like a big, I didn't know what you did last summer fan. But uh, like some younger people, like Seth used to be on the show, that's like one of his favorites. And oh, some, yeah. Uh, people in their other 20s, I know. And I'm just kind of flabbered. That, and it's like that scream, which I know people liked. And um, what were those movies where they know they're going to die? Oh, yeah. Yep. Some people love those ones. The, uh, oh, God. Uh, Final Destination. Yeah. Like those movies, like I, I knew Scream was big, but I never knew those other ones had such like a big following. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's kind of weird. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta say, though, I, I did like the Scream and usually, uh, you know, a lot of those type of movies, you know, once it come, came around that time, like, I was never the biggest, like, Saw fan or anything like that. But I did like Scream, I, I, I gotta say. Yeah, I like Scream, too. I mean, yeah. I didn't love them. I wasn't, you know, wasn't my favorite thing, but I did like them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't like a lot of the sequels, too, but I think the first one's a good movie. Yeah, yep. Not gonna front. Uh, Adam's Family, Pan's Labyrinth, which uh, Troy will be happy. Oh, what about it? Oh, it's going to so, be on on, nice. uh, on Netflix. Uh, the the Brendan Fraser Mummy movies. Hell yeah. Well, they might be fun to go back to, you know, check no. them out. No, not probably not. Me. They kind of suck. I know our mom really likes them. <laughs> yeah, yep. She dug those. Uh, the Strangers, I know a lot of people like it. I've never been a big fan of it. Nah, me either. Godzilla the Planet Eater. Now, I I'm not. A, I don't know a lot about Godzilla, so I have no idea if that's a new movie, an old movie, or what. I don't know, but I like the title. Well, it's apparently it's from 2018. Holy shit! 
So in Japan, they're still making like new Godzillas and stuff? I guess so. It's a 2018 Japanese computer animated uh, film featuring Godzilla, produced by Toho Animation. Wow, you you would think that... It was made for Netflix. Oh, okay. I wonder how the Japanese feel about that. You know, because like... Because Godzilla, when you think about practical effects, that's, you know, always kind of a staple. Yeah, very true. It's the 34th Godzilla film. Holy shit. Hmm. And you've seen two. (laughs) I've seen a lot. All right. (laughs) The third and final entry in the anime trilogy. Yeah, I didn't know this, that there was this three. No. Uh, plot following Mechagodzilla City's destruction, Metfees express admiration for humanity and the remaining Bulusawado, Bulusaluda, one Harua to be brought to justice. There's a lot more to this, and if you want to find out, go and Google yourself because well, I have yeah. no idea who any of these people are. I know no. who Mechagodzilla is. But didn't they say that was like a city or something? Mechagodzilla yeah, I didn't city? Know it was a city. <laughs> Maybe it was a beloved character and they named the city after him. I see a lot of names here. I know the uh, Ghidra's in it, apparently. Gamera oh, okay. make the scene? Mothra. He's apparently still an egg. Oh, wow. Well, you see, that's the thing that's confusing about Mothra, because then, you know, in the first one, Mothra lays the eggs and they have the two big caterpillars. So Uh maybe Mothra always changes. Maybe Mothra has, like, that short life expectancy. Mm, Could be. Lays some eggs, and then there's a new Mothra or two. Mothra! (laughs) And I.O., I don't know what that is. It's a Netflix uh, original movie, I.O. Mm. I believe that's a moon of Jupiter. Oh, okay. I don't know what this movie has anything to do. Let me try to find it. E.O., I believe that's called E.O., the moon, but it's spelled I.O. All right. I got to take a word on that. Sam, a teenage girl, is one of the last people on a post, a post, sorry, a post-catalytic Earth. Cattle, how do you say that? Uh, with Cataclysmic. The fi- there you go. With the final shuttle scheduled to leave the planet, she must decide whether to journey to the launch point and join the rest of humanity or remain on Earth, a castaway, and the only home she has ever known. Oh. Oh, that sounds kind of dull. Yeah, I probably won't watch it. No, no. And leaving us, so if if you want to see these movies, get out there and watch them because they're leaving in January. They're leaving forever. Well, not forever. They're leaving Netflix. Blade, Blade Two. I didn't even know they were on there. I need Bram Stoker's Dracula. Take it. <laughs> yeah, they they're welcome to it. Interview with the Vampire and Queen oh. of the Damned. The, the, the oh sequel. God. So you can see, like, the good one and the crap one. Uh-huh. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Oh, good. Ooh. All the shark, all five Sharknado movies. Well, there you go. You can, you can binge all the Sharknados. Uh-huh. The Reaping, which I'm not familiar with. Hmm. The Shining. 
And it follows. Okay. Very, very overrated movie. Yeah, you didn't like the It Follows. Yeah, did you like it? I did. I did. I enjoyed it. But I, I can see definitely, you know, like the problems with it and stuff. Yeah. I know a lot of people really love it. Yeah. I liked it. I, I didn't love it, but I did like it. I got you. I got you. Uh, for Hulu, we got uh, a lot of cool stuff coming in January. Beetlejuice. Nice. The 2009 Children of the Corn. I you don't even remember. Is that the made for sci-fi one? I believe so. I believe Which actually is not a bad movie. Mm. Um, a bunch of these are actually currently on Shudder, if anyone wants to watch Shudder. But it's uh, Cujo, The Dead Zone, Pet Cemetery, Silver Bullet. They're all uh, currently on um, Shudder. It was nice they added a bunch of uh, King ones. What was it? Was it last month or maybe it was in October? Yeah, yeah. yeah and they have a few. Um, also, they have the Creep Show. Yep, and Cat's Eye. I think. I, don't know. I didn't see it, but I'm not. I'm not saying it's not there. Calling me a liar. Huh? <laughs> uh, so let's see the resonant. I'm not sure what that is. Thinner, very, very poorly. <laughs> now there's a movie when they talk about you know let's reboot something. How about making a better thinner? Agreed. Agreed. Thinner and uh, at pupil. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of good stuff in the Cujo movie, but it's much different than the uh, the book. Like right. I think you could do a version that's more like the book. Yep, I'd be good with that. Uh, X Files season eleven. I've never watched X Files. Neither have I. It's always one of those things people are always shocked when I tell them that. Yeah, and it's not, I'm not against it. I no, it's no, good. me either. Watch it. Annihilation. Hmm. Uh, a lot of stuff. Mystery of the Staircase, complete season one. Well, there you go. Uh, Eric, to get on that. Like the Vatican tapes. Yeah, he's just making shit up. So it's about the the tapes from the Vatican. Are they like naughty tapes? I don't know. Maybe like getting it on. Maybe they're like Scotch tape. Oh, okay, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, I saw uh, they're doing a, a new season of The Terror. I loved the first season. I still have to watch The Terror. I I meant to do so and just completely forgot all about it. Yeah, it was. It's a great movie. Yep, that's one that that looked I mean, great really TV cool. show. Yeah. Um. So they're doing a, a new season, but it's not going to be a continuation. It's going to be a whole new story. Oh, okay. Which is probably good because, like, I, I don't know how that one ends, but I can't imagine like it was a happy ending kind of thing. No, definitely not. And it was based on true story, and you know, I don't want to spoil it, but it would be hard to do another one. So uh, this one is about uh, let's see, during World War Two. And centers on an uncanny specter that menaces a Japanese American community from its home home in Southern California to the internment camps to the war in the Pacific. And George Takai is going to be in it. No way! That's awesome. Yeah. He really was in the camps. Yep, internment camps. 
So that's pretty cool. Yeah. Is it Takei or Takai? I know he gets Takei. It's okay, Takei. I like George Takei. Yeah, me too. Because he always talks about that when he first met um, Roddenberry. He called him Rosenberry. And uh, then he felt bad until he called him Takai. And he's like, well, Takai means expensive in Japanese, so you can call me Takai, but it's Takei. <laughs> he's cool. I, I, I think I like all the original cast of, of Star Trek. Oh, yeah. You have to. Even, you know... Uh, Shatner and all his fucking goofy with this. Yeah, it means we Shatner. Yep. I said this before, right, a bunch of times, but the um, my favorite rejection letter ever was was from William Shatner. Oh yeah. <laughs> so I emailed him to come on, and immediately, like, like immediately, I got to reply back, William Shatner. Only does major media outlets, all in caps, that part, major media. And I just, I just, you know, it supposedly was from his agent, but I'm, in my mind, it was just Shatner sitting there and and replying to his own emails. And he was just like, how dare they ask me? That would be awesome. I hope that's the way it really went. That's that's what I think. I'm freaking Shatner. I saw something recently. I think he said that like he was almost homeless, or he was like living in his car at like after Star Trek till the movie. And I was like, I think he's just fibbing. Yeah, I think so because he had some some roles in between there. I mean, he's in like The Devil's Reign and had to make him you know pay something. Yeah, yeah. I was saying he was like you know rolling, but yeah, I don't think he was ever like homeless or near poverty or something. <laughs> No, it's only kind of, you know, makes him even more, like, lovable by lying about shit, you know? Yeah. I had I had this, uh, I probably lost it by now, but I had this great um, video of him um, from a mad monster during the Q&A for the Twilight Zone, and it really was unlike I ever saw William Shatner before. He wasn't, like, doing the Shatner stuff. He was like, it was the most real I've ever seen him telling stuff that you could tell he really enjoyed talking about and he's interested in. Mm. Yeah, because he was talking about something other than, you know, Star Trek. And uh, and then they wouldn't let me, uh, they wouldn't let me post it. Oh, man. William Shatner's people wouldn't let me post. I was like, man, this would actually, I think, do him good. Like, people would see him as like, you know, a real person. But maybe he just wants to be known as Shatner, I guess. <laughs> That's true. He's like, no, nah, this is more the legend, man. I read that uh that I guess he he wrote a a script or something to do a new Star Trek and like he came back to life or something. <laughs> That's a huge shock, huh? <laughs> yeah, and I think they turned it down. Like, well, I know they turned it down because it. it didn't happen, but that's pretty awesome though yeah so uh we're gonna get maria here on at uh at 9 30 so in a couple minutes we're gonna get her on instead of 10 so i think that'll work out cool very nice he's ready to go so uh we're gonna go to break here we're gonna play a tune from our music of the month small town titans love the small town titans man and then we will come back with maria olson 
Sound Very like nice. a plan? That sounds great. All right. We shall return. You're a mean one, Mr. Grinch. You really are a heel. You're as cuddly as a cactus and as charming as an eel, Mr. Grinch. You're a bad banana with a... Greasy black peel Just raise the music, you're a monster Mr. Grinch Your heart's an empty hole Your brain is full of spice you got garlic in your soul, Mr. Grinch. I wouldn't touch you with a 39 and a half foot pole. You're a Mr. Grinch, you got termites in your smile. You have all the tender sweetness of a seasick crocodile, Mr. Grinch. Well, given the choice between the two of you, I would take the seasick crocodile. Socks and your soul is full of gunk, Mr. Grinch. The three best words I would use to describe you are as follows, and I quote Stag! Stag!
This is Camille Keaton of I Spit on Your Grave, and you're listening to Without Your Head. Welcome back to the station of Decapitation Without Your Head. I'm still Nasty Neil. And I remain terrible, Troy. Mm-hmm. And now we're joined by Maria Olson. She's uh, got a couple Christmas Horror movies out we're going to talk about, and tons of other movies. This is going to be very cool. It's good to have you here. Welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Neil. This is awesome. <laughs> good, very good. So let's. Where should we start? First of all, I saw the. Uh, well, I saw both uh, your Krampus movie, and uh, all the creatures were stirring. And uh, people know I have a soft spot for Christmas horror, but all the creatures uh, were stirring. Really fun Christmas horror movie. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Um, Actually, I think my favorite picture has to do with actors on stage and reindeer horns and red ribbons. <laughs> but yes, I'm not going to be too specific for the people who haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If people know it's the anthology, and I always like when the anthologies have like, you know, the wraparound story that can, it connects them all because that in itself is fun, uh, which is, yes. is, is very part of. And uh, you have very interesting uh, hair do in, in the movie. <laughs> It took about an hour to get it done like that. Then we sprayed the shit out of it um, to keep it like that. And I had a really, really difficult time um, washing all the spray out of it and getting it back to normal. But it looks, <laughs> wow, it looks like something else on screen. Wow. Yes. So it's not a hairdo you ever wear like around town or anything. Oh, no. Absolutely not. No, and yeah. I've worn a lot of hairdos and hair colors. Yes. Yeah. I like the whole, the whole wardrobe is very interesting. Mm. Um, the boots were mine, but everything else belonged to the production. But, yeah. yeah, she wanted me in boots, and we had a couple choices, but those ones were mine, so I went with those. So, so how did you get involved in the movie? Did you know any of the people that were making it? Oh, yeah. Um, I was Facebook friends with Rebecca for several years, actually, uh, before one day she messaged me and she was like, hey, would you like to do this role? And I'm like, absolutely. Just like, <laughs> you know, sign my name on the dotted line. I'm there. Then yeah. when I went to, um, we had a fitting and I don't know what happened, but I actually ended up standing outside her house on the street for like an hour saying, is this the right house? Asking, um, is this the right house? Um, this looks like the oh, right no. house, but it might not be. So it might be a serial killer. So I'm just going to stand here outside for an hour. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, so, but everything was fine. <laughs> yeah. What was it about the house that uh, didn't make it seem right? It was dark. Uh-huh. Yes. It was dark, and there was, like, no one coming in and out. And that was, like, hmm, okay. I thought maybe there was people here or something. Hi. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm, was... I'm notorious. Yeah. No, go on. You're notorious. No, for not being able to find house numbers or building mm. numbers in Los Angeles. So this was probably just another casualty of me not <laughs> being able to find a house number. Yeah. Right. It was cool because there's a lot of little cameos in it. I remember Mike Mendez, uh, director and former guest on the show, was sitting in the back of the theater. I was like, hey, that's Mike Mendez. That's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, you'll never know when people are going to pop up sometimes. Yeah. 
And it was, uh, and it's on Shutter, which Shutter's like really becoming this uh, great channel with uh, you know Joe Bob's gonna be weekly and uh, got tales mm-hmm. from the um, uh, Creep Show sh- uh, show coming on and all, a really cool uh, made for you know net uh, made for Netflix made for a Shutter stuff and then all the old stuff and just the it's becoming a really yeah. great channel for five bucks a month. It, it's awesome. Yeah, becoming a real player, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I got a Shutter subscription like through my Amazon subscription, and mm-hmm. it's really great to see all the films that I can find there. I am, I watch a lot of horror, and I watch across three different platforms. Um, yeah. And I get DVDs as well, you know, for mm-hmm. the more obscure stuff that's not streaming. Um, mm-hmm. So I really, really value the platform. It's really awesome. Mm-hmm. How is uh, how is streaming and sites like? Like Shutter and Hulu and Netflix and Amazon, all these. How does that? Uh, how does that affect your career? How does that affect my career? I I really just think that that opens up um, more places for um, indie filmmakers to get their films out there. Um, mm-hmm. I think it's. I, I'm really enjoying the proliferation of online platforms because I mean, let's face it, the um, Smaller, even medium budget indies are never going to come up with enough money to get a, a theatrical run. You know, sometimes some of them get maybe 10 days or two weeks in five theaters or whatever, but a lot of them don't even see ever the inside of a theater. So, because it's just too expensive. Um, so, the more online, legit platforms that there are, I think the better because it's encouraging people to make stuff and it's, it's an outlet for them um, to mm-hmm. get this stuff seen. Um, just as a, as a companion to that, the illegitimate sites, the piracy sites, I want to hunt them down and kill them because (laughs) I can see how it is, um, affecting not only the indie world, but also the studio based world. I mean, we saw what happened to the Ash and Evil Dead, Ash versus the Evil Dead series, Mm -hmm. you know, piracy killed that. Yeah. Um, and I am very vocal against piracy wherever I see it happening or people talking about it online or whatever. I'm like, dude, just don't steal. <laughs> and yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree. It's really weird because there's like people who who uh, don't even see it as anything wrong. Like they actually, some people get like mad at you if you say anything, and uh, it's like I think they just see it as a cheaper way of getting something. I'll, it's it's a, it's odd. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Understand the mentality. You know, if they get mad at you, that means that they're feeling guilty on some level. But if they just look at you and say, "What? I don't understand the issue," yeah. then there's your problem. You know, mm-hmm. um, a film just because you can see it online at the touch of a button. Um, seems to have less value than something real and physical you can hold in your hand. I mean, you would never go out and just take a book from Barnes & Noble or just take a hamburger from McDonald's Mm -hmm. because unless you're, like, not well in the head, you (laughs) you have to (laughs) shell out some dollars for it, you know. But a film is, oh, look, I can just go to this website and click, and I don't see anyone getting hurt. I don't see anyone yelling at me while I'm running away eating my hamburger. It's mm-hmm. a victimless crime, therefore, but it isn't. And it just takes a bit of explanation to make it apparent how it affects people and indie filmmakers and everyone really in the industry, mm-hmm. you know? And sometimes so, yeah, people you that's... never expect it from, you know, like mm-hmm. normally, you know, like pretty honest people and 
they don't see like the harm in that. It's always strange to me. Yeah. And also, um, I've seen it as sort of a, a result of our instant gratification society, as in, right. okay, Bumblebee's coming out. I want to see it now. I don't want to <laughs> wait for two months yeah. until it comes to DVD or whatever it is. I want to see it now. Oh, yeah. and it's Fox or whatever studio it is, Marvel. They don't yeah. care if I watch this film right now on my laptop. <laughs> yep. You know? But mm-hmm. have enough people doing that. <laughs> You know, and you won't ever see another Bumblebee film. Not that you'll probably see another one anyway, but okay. (laughs) I personally probably won't see the the first one, but yeah. No, no. That's another story. I've never seen a Transformer film. I saw the first one, and I I, uh, I never watch another one. I I, I watched the cartoon as a kid, but the. uh, Oh, yeah, the old cartoon was great. Yeah. Even the old. animated movie was pretty cool yeah that's what i meant i i really liked oh it. Yeah. yeah but uh and i tried yeah. to watch the gi joe uh movie i couldn't finish it <laughs> oh the one with with what's your face demi moore like a long time ago yeah, no wait i'm getting so confused i think that's gi jane but it, this that's gi jane <laughs> yeah, yes this, there we go <laughs> based off the toys the yeah i played with the kids so i was kind of excited about the movie but Wow. Little <laughs> did you know. Right, right. She yeah, said about no. uh, you, know, you watch a lot of horror stuff. So were you a horror movie fan before you started to act? Oh, absolutely. Um, I distinctly remember like um, like snuggling in bed with my mom when I was like five years old. And we were looking at a Dracula magazine of all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. And talking about Dracula movies when I was that young. And it was something my mother obviously enjoyed. So she instilled that enjoyment in me when I was, you know, tiny, tiny little child. And it just stayed with me my whole life. Um, I still have my Fangoria collection nice. from like when I was eight years old or something, which is a long time ago now. Um, and I never, there were a couple movies that might have just frightened me a little bit, but I never, I, I never get scared from them. Because I used to read the making of articles in Fangoria, and I was like, oh, so that's how Reagan's head turned around, and whatever, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I understood them at a nuts and bolts level. Um, so I never got frightened because I knew it was all just a special effect, and I was interested in how they were made. Mm-hmm. Uh- and I'm also interested in how they reflect society's continual quest to explore the unknown. You know, mm-hmm. so it's the psychological and the practical aspect of horror movies that that really grabs me. Mm-hmm. The the similar thing is uh, Troy's my older brother, and uh, so a single mom, and she would take uh, you know Troy and his friends to the drive-in, and they would you know instead of get a babysitter, take me along. And so I remember watching you know like the Night Living Dead at the drive-in when I was like five or six years old, and and uh, and uh, you know I, the same way I never I never. Not to be a tough guy, just because I watch them my whole life, so not uh, not really scared of them, but uh, you know, just mm-hmm. loving them. Except for them, except for yeah. Magic, Magic the trailer always scared me. The the uh, the movie Magic, Magic. Mm-hmm. with the um, with the with the ventriloquist dummy. Oh 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 yes. Yeah, just the ads would like just scare the shit out of Neil when he was a little <laughs> kid. 
Yeah, they were. That's because we had a ventriloquist dummy in the house. Ah, <laughs> that would explain it. Right, right. <laughs> yes. So, what what were some of the movies that um that you liked and you know made you want to be in them? Um, it it crosses genres. It's not only horror. Although um, I remember very, very um, clearly watching the um, Dracula with Frank Langella. Oh, that's uh, the best one. That's my favorite one. Yes, it's. I love it. It's absolutely brilliant. And some of the images from that film have just stayed in my mind like forever. Like when they open up the coffin and they find Dracula and Mina next to him. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, my God, that's so cool, you know? Oh, yeah. I also remember um, later on, it was uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula as well. I found that one irresistibly beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, that film and Interview with the Vampire as well. I loved it. I loved that one mm-hmm. for its visuals. You know, it's just sheer beauty on screen as well. Mm-hmm. Um, although I will argue to this day that Antonia Banderas was miscast as Armand, <laughs> but that's the whole other discussion. <laughs> Um, oh, I remember a film, um, it was a 60s hammer horror called, um, um, the, the, oh God, um, Horrible House of Horror. Oh, Google is my friend. Um, <laughs> I was just doing the same thing. Is it, <laughs> is it a Christopher Lee one or? The Haunted House of Horror. Oh, okay. I think. There's, uh, I see House, house let's see here, I see Dr. Terror's yes, House of yes, Horror. Yes. Oh, okay, That's I it. think that was one of the anthology ones, right? Um, it says here, it's a 1969 British film, teen slasher starring Frankie Avalon, of all people, um, oh. also known as Horror House in the Dark. Yeah, that I, I watched when I was about nine, and I was fascinated by this whole thing. So I'm, I'm not going to watch that one again, because I'm sure it'll <laughs> just like, destroy my memories of it entirely. Yeah, you can't go back sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. I don't remember that um, one. I'm going to have to look for that one. Yeah, cheesy, campy 60s. There you go. Yeah. And of course, the um, original Omen trilogy, um, mm. which I love, the middle one especially, um, the original Amityville Horror, Rosemary's Baby, you know, I was just like becoming aware of films and horror right about the time all those films were coming out. And nice. so um, Exorcist as well, mm-hmm. you know, um, so they very much fascinated me. And still, I think um, those are among the, the like stalwarts of the horror genre. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just this very creepy, demon-centric bunch of films that we have i think the late 70s early 80s that are amazing mm-hmm. yeah i think uh, rosemary's baby and the exorcist that's i think both those are like perfect movies oh yeah you can't go mm-hmm. wrong with either one yeah mm-hmm. yeah um this halloween i worked for warner brothers at their horror made here um halloween thing and i was in the exorcist house which wasn't amazed um, it was a, <coughs> excuse me, we saw um, a summary of the film and then there was all kinds of special effects and things happening while we were watching the film. Mm-hmm. 
and just to watch the film and see things that you've never seen before and picked up before. <coughs> it was just really, really amazing. Like mm-hmm. the color scheme, for instance, when you just watched the film, you don't pick up that the color scheme of several things are the same and you'll see the blues and the yellows and the greens repeated throughout the film. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, all of this stuff is there, but you just don't notice it because you're too busy looking at the demon or Pazuzu or the, the, the head turn. Mm-hmm. Like when Father Merrick um, comes in the house for the first time, the demon moans and screams. Actually, the demon is saying Merrick. Mm-hmm. If you listen to it carefully, every time the demon yells, it's actually saying Merrick. Huh. It's, there's so much in the film that you just don't realize. You yeah. know, from a casual viewing, it's so wonderful. Yeah, I feel that way when you, when, um, if you, see a movie on the big screen if you've seen it a lot of times uh and especially like the older movies you mentioned you you notice a lot more because uh, you're not distracted by anything because it's right there in front of you in the theater and uh the exorcist mm-hmm. in particular when you're saying about noticing different things uh when i went to see it uh not that long ago at the theater i noticed like at the beginning there's a lot of things that uh, would be considered like uh sins but most i think more more uh, normal people wouldn't like there's a um, there's a Ouija board. The mother's like a single mother, and just things like you know out of wedlock and stuff. And I just thought, oh, there's like mm-hmm. uh, there's like hints of you know why the why the demon's coming, and it's stuff that uh, maybe people you know forgot. That they're no longer sins in like a modern society. It's just the a lot of little things there that's uh, that adds to the movie, even if it's like it doesn't, uh, it, it, you don't even really necessarily see it while you're watching it. Mhm. Yeah, it's a, a great film with many, many layers, mm-hmm. you know. And I really should actually watch it some more and just yeah. like my brain and I, some more. And I, I say I like that the yeah. devil's very mm-hmm. vile in the movie. He's not like, you know, it's funny lines, but it's not like something that you would w- you want to like. Like everything about him, like it, you know, physically. He's not like the cool devil, right? No, everything is like physically right. gross. He's you know. A hor- you know, horrible, it's this, you know, everything's perverse about the devil in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Very good film. Yeah. You know, and I sort I, of I, missed films on that level. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you, we're seeing a resurgence of horror, and there are quite some modern <laughs> classics, you know, that will stay foremost in our mind in the genre for I think years to come but I'm not sure if we've approached the level of films like The Exorcist and Rosemary's Baby yet mm-hmm. you know yeah I agree I, I always think it's like this hot, even though there's a, there's a lot of exorcism movies like to me none of them live up to The Exorcist so it's always like it's always hard to do another exorcist movie I think mm-hmm. very much so yeah, even though there's a whole bunch of them. It's weird, though, even though I don't <laughs> think any of them even, you know, match, like, a lot of, like, uh, the visuals of, of the of the movie, in, you know, so many years later. Wow, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, because, you know, if you watch an exorcist, exorcism movie these days, you mm-hmm. know it's going to happen. Um, right. <laughs> there was one interesting one that I watched not so long ago. Of course, I don't remember its title right now. 
Um, but it touched on something that I had not seen previously, and that was where the person's soul goes to while they're being possessed. That to yeah, me was and, an interesting concept, yeah. Yeah, and uh might be the same movie, because they also, which I didn't know about, it was a recent one, that like if the priest doesn't uh, succeed, like their soul's damned. Wow. Which I never, I never, I guess that's like a, a real thing of, you know, of exorcism. Wow. It was, uh, in a, we had the people on, Troy, what was it called? It was uh, the Song of Solomon. Oh, yeah. Yep. Oh, I want to see that. I haven't seen it yet. Ah, it looks amazing. Yeah, I think it you'll like good. it. It's yeah. really intense. Mm-hmm. Good. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was going to mention your other uh, Christmas horror movie out is uh, Krampus Origins, and uh, I'm a big fan of Krampus. Mm-hmm. Uh, interesting, because the last few years, Krampus has really grown in popularity. Yeah. There are a lot of, lot of Krampus films out there now. You know, it's like you turn around a corner and there's another Krampus. <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it was seven years ago we did a, a video and I played Krampus. And so I want to take credit for for the uh, for the you rise of the, the resurgence. <laughs> exactly. Now, if somebody can do it for poor Black <laughs> Pete, you don't see Black Pete anywhere. Only Black <laughs> Philip. <laughs> no, that's that's true. Yeah, Black Philip. So, uh, did you <laughs> have you ever play, have you ever played a nun before or, or known any nuns? Oh, um, yes. Actually, I was in a um, stage version of. Um, well, obviously a stage version of The Sound of Music, where I played a nun. Oh, nice. Um, yes, a singing <laughs> nun, yeah. Um, and there was also a um, a short film that I was doing with Jason Bognaki, who was um, director, producer, writer, etc. of Mark of the Witch. But unfortunately, his um, computer crashed, and all the footage on his hard drive was lost. Oh, um, no. Um, yeah. I was a vampire nun, which was going to be, like, really, really cool. But that one has gone away, unfortunately, and will not be coming back. Um, Mm. In Mark of the Witch, I was pictured as a nun. There's a picture of me as a nun, but I wasn't the nun character in the actual film. But then I was a nun all the time, all day, all night on Krampus Origins. (laughs) Yes, that was... That was a very interesting and fun shoot. We were all in Globe, Arizona, the old um, train station there, which we proved was haunted because we have pictures showing ghosts. Yes, we do. Oh, wow. Um, <laughs> yeah. And we had a, what was it, two, three-week-long shoot there, and we were pulling 18-hour days. Um, oh. So it was a bit of an intense shoot there, yeah. But I think the movie looks lovely. Um, it does. Very, very true to the original script. Everyone turns in a really good performance, I think. Um, mm-hmm. Especially our ingenue lead, Katie Peabody, who's my very close friend. I was so pleased to be working with her again. Um, and I just had a wonderful time. I was just like, yeah, I've got like 102 lines, but what the hell? I'll be fine. <laughs> I'll just wear the pink one outfit the whole day and try not to pull down the steps and I'll be fine. Yeah. yeah. So, so I gotta, I gotta hear about the ghosts. Uh, where did you guys see the ghosts? 
um, our um, hair and makeup lady actually um, was standing outside the train station taking random pictures of the front of the station. And when she was looking at them again, she was like, hey, look through this window. What is this thing in this window that's like standing behind the window inside the building? And we all looked at it. We couldn't figure out what it was. We looked in the actual building. Nothing inside the building looked like what she had caught on her picture, which looked like someone standing there. So we were all convinced, okay, this place is obviously haunted, and look at that, you just got it on film. So that was like the talk of the entire shoot, because we were now convinced this place was haunted. Uh Um, We had evidence, and, you know, sometimes some of the kids, and there were young kids on that show, didn't want to be, like, alone, or some of the older kids, like, grown-up kids, didn't want to be alone (laughs) there either. Uh-huh. Um, it added a bit of flavor and interest to the shoot, you know, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. Now, did you have any, uh, had you ever had previous uh, experience with ghosts or, or believe in them or uh, any thoughts on them? Um, yes, absolutely. I've actually shot in several haunted places and had weird stuff happen to us. Um, I've shot at Linda Vista hospital several times, um, I did see something vaguely weird in the air while I was waiting for my cue in one of the side rooms at Linda Vista. And of course, there are some creepy, creepy rooms at Linda Vista. The morgue, the autopsy room, both of which I've been in, I've shot in. Wow. And yeah, there there was this weird room where people had just like drawn eyes and faces and things on the wall. Now, I have no idea if that was some nutcase or if that was a film crew. Um, but it was, it just felt really weird. Um, I've also shot in the old state hospital, which is about a mile or two away from Linda Vista. Actually. Um, we were shooting lost time, a science fiction film that I'm in, and we were shooting just on the fifth and the fourth floors and everything above was like, it was closed off. The elevators couldn't get above the floors that we were shooting on because everything was closed off. There was nobody in there anymore. We were shooting on those two floors, and there were a couple, like, hospital employees and whatnot on the floors below us. So imagine my surprise when I went hunting for a bathroom, found it on, I think, the third floor, got in the elevator to get back to the fifth, and it took me straight up to the 13th. (laughs) It shouldn't have been able to do that. Uh It was closed. It, it shouldn't have been able to go up there. Yeah. So I was standing in the elevator. The door opened, and I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I'm not getting out of this thing. Then <laughs> <laughs> you just start pushing buttons, get me out. <laughs> yes, pretty much. Pushing buttons and just standing back and going, please, just let me go now. And eventually it closed, and it took me back down to the fifth floor. But no one could tell me how it, how it got up higher than what we were because yeah. it was supposed to be locked. That was the weirdest thing. Then I was shooting out in Topanga. Um, I got a, I, I, I was co-producing that film, so I was also taking uh, behind-the-scenes shots. I got a whole bunch of shots, beautiful shots, and then same location, two seconds later, I take another shot, and suddenly it's filled with orbs. Now, don't tell me this is like fuzz on the lens or something, because 
you know, 99 of these shots are perfect and number 100 is filled with orbs, like, in the middle of the run. Like, no. Mm-hmm. So that one was really weird. And when I was performing Delusion on a really old house in the Adams District, we had a lot of weird things happening there. A lot of weird things. Mm-hmm. Um, people had, I think, died in that house. Like, a long time ago, there was a fire, and I think a child was killed in the fire. Um, in Delusion, we each sort of had our own room, and we were just waiting for it. It's immersive theater. And we, like, wait for the people to come through to our room, and then we do our scene and whatever. But when we were alone in the room, we were alone in the room. So I was laying on my bed between sets, and I felt someone sit down on the bed behind me. So I turned over to speak to them, and you know what? There was no one there. That was weird. I distinctly felt the weight of someone going down on that bed, and no, nobody. And other people saw a woman walking into the bathroom, and then they were waiting for her to come out because there was no other way out. And they're waiting and waiting, and finally they go in, and there's no one in there. You know, <laughs> weird things like that. That house was odd. We had weird atmospheres sometimes. And, of course, with Halloween and people coming in who've had a couple of beers or some wine or whatever, it just gets rowdy and, and weird sometimes. The energy gets a bit wild. But, yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of places are a bit off, shall we say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Does that does that add to the uh, the atmosphere of the movie you're, you're making? Um, yes, it does. Sometimes, I mean, like when you're wandering around the basement level of Linda Vista and you're dressed up as like a ghoul or a zombie or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. you, you like terrify people when you meet them in the dark, and you're also like scared a little bit. Um, mm. I was walking actually um, to set uh, Linda Vista and I was all by myself. I had a ton of makeup on and this one person came up to me and she was like, are you real? <laughs> I don't know what she was going to say. <laughs> but I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm real. Yeah, just an actor. Hi. Um, but it can be creepy, you know. Um, I remember once we were shooting up in Santa Maria um that's about two hours out of Los Angeles in the middle of the forest, in the middle of the night, as usual. Um, and I'm playing this ex-murderer type person. And I don't want to walk from our base camp to the bathrooms because it's dark and it's middle of the night and I'm scared <laughs> and whatever. And then I remind myself, you know what? You are probably the scariest person in this forest right now. <laughs> yeah, if you're carrying an axe around and stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and with that, like, in my mind, I was like, yeah, I am the scariest person around. I was able to go to the bathroom, and I was fine. It's, like, weird how things just affect you, yeah. Yeah. So I also noticed, uh, it was funny, because there's this old radio um, playing in the movie, and I was like, what is that song? I know song, and I realized, oh, it's what they're singing in Jaws, the three guys <laughs> in, the, uh, in the, you know, in the, in the cabin. It's, uh. Mm-hmm. So that was that was in very Krampus? cool to hear. The, oh, yeah, wow. Krampus cool. Origins. It was the, uh, the, the I guess the original version of the song, and I was like, oh, that's really cool. Wow. It took me a, it took me a couple minutes to realize what it was. What is that? That Spanish yeah. ladies or something like that? Yeah, it's like uh, we want to go home. We're... Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so that was very cool. cool. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, what was it like to do like uh, a period movie? 
Oh, I've done several actually. Um, I'm all, always in terror of falling over my skirt. Um, <laughs> that happens to me often, actually. Um, in in the remains, that was also a period movie. There, they actually put me in one of those huge, big Gibson girl wigs. So you feel very top heavy when that happens. Um, and I also had period clothing there. Um, it's nice. But it's a little restricting because we're so used to, oh, wear pants or shorts or a a skirt you can actually move around in, you know. Mm -hmm. And now we're in these long skirts and things like that and I can't see the floor that I'm walking on and things like that, which always gives me anxiety. Anyone who knows me and who has worked with me will usually know my first question is, okay, what shoes do I have to wear? Because... (laughs) I have this thing with shoes. I mean, starry eyes nearly killed me. Um, they had me in these like two, three inch heels. And I'm like, dude, that's so not me. But he's like, yes, yes, you're wearing this. Huh. Um, so that was so anxiety inducing. Um, but period clothing, you also act a little differently. You act more restrained, more with more authority, more stately, slower, mm-hmm. more deliberate in your movement, things like that. Um, I don't know. It's just a, a thing that comes over me if I'm in period costume with something like the habit that I wore in Grandpa's Origins. Mm-hmm. You know, um, it's just a different way of moving and being in space, sort of thing. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you know, when you were talking about uh, movies that uh, influenced you to become an actor or make movies, you know, a few, a lot of them were vampire movies. Have you had a chance to play a vampire in one that wasn't, you know, lost? No, you know, I don't think I have. No. Well, you have. No, to. I have not. At some point in time, you must. Yeah. That would be nice. Yes. I've played like 102 zombies and like 67 <laughs> witches. Uh, and a bunch of nuns. But, and a bunch of nuns, but never a werewolf and never a vampire and something that finally made it on screen, you know? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. That's unfortunate. What's it like to play a zombie? Slow. Um, <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> Yeah, um, generally covered in a ton of makeup. Um, I don't know if you remember a short-lived series called Death Valley set in the San Fernando Valley. Um, Drew Daywalt um, directed some of the episodes, and he got me on as one of the zombies there. Um, One half of my face was covered with with prosthetics. Um, I couldn't see out of one of my eyes, and my nose was covered up. And it was a night shoot, and I got a sneezing fit. Oh, no. Mm. And because my nose was covered up, I couldn't wipe it or blow my nose (laughs) until the poor makeup assistant took off my prosthetic at the end of the night. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Welcome to... (laughs) Yeah, the glamorous world of zombies. (laughs) The glamorous world. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, What's that? Yeah. And you, Go on, sorry. yeah, no. I was going to say you generally wear um, special effects lenses as well, and mm-hmm. 
I don't mind them. I can put mine in uh, because I've been wearing contact lenses since I was like 16, so I can put them in. Some of them you can see through better than others, and it's the white opaque ones that you cannot see through. Oh. Then things get really interesting. Um, <laughs> Yeah, because, hey, you have no idea where you're going or what you're doing. Mm. But the others are fine, just a bit scratchy. Yeah. How about the prosthetics? Uh, what's that experience like to, to get a lot of prosthetics on? Um, again, slow. Um, my longest sitting in the makeup chair for prosthetics was eight hours. Wow. Um, I had to be glued into the prosthetic. Then it was painted on me. I had a ball cap, I had a wig, I had finger extensions, I had weird teeth, I had special contact lenses, and putting that all on for the first time for that shoot took eight hours. That's then insane. we went outside and shot for 40 minutes, and I came back in, and we took five hours to get it off. Oh. Yeah, it took so long because we were preserving the face prosthetic and it was a full face prosthetic, like right from the top of my forehead to mid-throat sort of thing. Um, we had to preserve it because we had to use it again and again, you know. Um, another story about the glamour. Okay. On that shoot, they got me goat pupil lenses, which look amazing. And they actually got me the prescription lenses that I need, which was also amazing. Wow. But I also have astigmatism which means if you put a lens on my eye, it, it turns, it drifts a little bit mm -hmm. on, on its axis, okay? So if you have vertical goat pupil lenses, you stick it in my eye, and in a few seconds, it's drifted, <sighs> and the pupil is no longer vertical. Okay, mm. now, with that in your mind, uh -huh. and... <laughs> They've put me in three-inch finger extensions, so I cannot manipulate lenses oh. in my eyes because I can't feel anything. Mm -hmm. So what we ended up doing was our director yelled, action. Then the assistant makeup lady would come in, stick her finger in my eye, turn the contact lens, and then we would shoot. Wow. And we did that for every single scene for every single take of every single scene. Oh. Yes, very, very glamorous job. Oh, it? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a, that, yeah. Yeah, that's a nightmare right there. <laughs> right? But at least I could see. Yeah, I was, I was happy that I could see. <laughs> yep, yep. And, and, and they didn't lose the footage, hopefully. No, but it's never come out of post. Oh, really? Oh. Well, sorry yep. to mention that then. Yeah. <laughs> the footage is fine. It's just on someone's hard drive. <laughs> yeah. Does that happen a lot? And uh, when it does happen, I assume it must be frustrating. It's very frustrating. Um, yeah, it happens quite a lot. Um, there's this one film that I co-produced that I'm also the lead in. Um, it's still stuck in post-production. They need to do some work on effects and sound and color grading and things like that. But um, I think, given everything, that it might take a very long time for that to happen. It sort of escaped and got into one festival, and I won Best Actress at that festival, 
Oh, really? And oh, every single day, I wonder what else would have happened if that film had got out. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, nothing I can do. Nothing I can do about that except try not to think about it because it frustrates me too much. Yeah. I, I did see you were in um, I Spit on Your Grave, uh, Deja Vu, and I know that's that's been like years since it was supposed to come out. I don't think it's a, it's come out yet. Uh, it has not. Um, I have it on good authority that it will come out early next year. Oh, okay. Um, it, yeah. Where people get confused with this one is that they think it's part of the um, Sarah Butler franchise, as in a studio film, but it is not. It's an indie mm-hmm. film made, produced, written, directed solely by Mayor Zarki and the Zarki family, and they're doing all of their posts in-house, mm-hmm. as in Terry Zarki sat and edited the film with Mayer for about two years until Mayer was happy with the cut. You know, that's why it's taking long. It's not a cookie-cutter film going through a studio. It's mm-hmm. a very specific indie helmed by almost one man, Mayer. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a direct sequel to the original one, right? It's a direct sequel to the original with Camille Keaton, mm-hmm. our wonderful Jennifer Hill, and yeah... You know, Mayer repeats his role as the the priest. Terry and Tammy's archie. They were the kids in the first film. They come back as the grown-up kids. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, there's a whole bunch of new people. Jamie Bernadette, who's freaking amazing in it. Myself um, and the boys. Jonathan PC, um, Jeremy Ferdman, um, Jim Tavare. You know, it's going to be an amazing film and hopefully I we can introduce it to everyone early next year. All right. Yeah. I've uh, Camille Keaton's been on a, you know a few times on the show and she always brings it up so I was hoping you know eventually mm-hmm. it would get released. Yeah. But I think Absolutely. it's better to yeah. uh, take your time and make sure it's good than just putting out there if it's not uh how people want it to be. Yes, exactly. Mayor is being very particular about this film. Um, I know he tried to speak to a whole bunch of distribution companies, but then some of them will say, oh, um, sure, but we'd like to cut this part or adjust this or change this. And he's like, no, this is my vision. You're not changing it. And if you don't let it out as I want it to be let out, we don't have a deal. Mm-hmm. You know, so he's very specific with this film. Very. Yeah. It's weird because you think like those days are, are over for some reason that like, uh, uh, you know, wanting to cut movies so much, but uh, you hear about it all the time still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Yes. Uh, honestly, I cannot wait for it to get out there, really. Yeah. So you mentioned uh, yeah. co-producing. Uh, do you do a lot of producing? I used to, um, but I don't really anymore. I've taken a, um, a step back from producing just to concentrating on the, concentrate on the acting. Um mm-hmm. Producing takes up a lot of time, a lot of time, you know, um, a lot of resources, a lot of time, and generally you never get paid for it. Ha ha ha. Um, so I'm rather just concentrating on acting, moving from film to film. Um, that seems to be working for me right now, and I'm really, really enjoying it. I'm getting to travel a lot. Just got back from South Africa. Um, I traveled, oh, six or seven times this year to shoot films in different parts of the country. I'm flying off again on the third to shoot Eminence Hill with the same group of people 
that did um, Krampus Origins, Robert Conway, um, who I love. It'll be my third film with Robert. Um, very much looking forward to that. Very much. So I'm just very, very happy with where I am right now and mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And I don't see producing in my immediate future, although never say never, right? Right, right. Well, when you when you travel to places for for the movie, do you get to see like the area? Do you take any time to to see to find the try the food or, or see what's going on around around the area? Um, sometimes, if I can, yeah. Um, I generally don't have my own transportation there, um, mm-hmm. and sometimes I'm in really out of the way areas, you know. Uh, for Beast of Our Fathers with Josh Manning, um, I was in some small hotel somewhere in the middle of Lisbon, Ohio. You know, if you put me on a road there, I would have lost in five seconds and you would never have seen me again sort of thing. Um, so when I have off days while I'm shooting away, I generally just stay in my room and work online. But sometimes I'm actually taking sightseeing by the director or producer or whatever. And that is absolutely amazing. Um, mm. When I was shooting um, Gore Orphanage, for instance, Cody Knotts and Emily Lapisardi used to take me on trips. That was awesome. I love that. More, more trips. <laughs> we want more trips. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yes. <laughs> but yeah, I'm so very lucky to be able to travel the way I do. So mm-hmm. incredibly lucky. I understand that. Um, mm-hmm. And it's just, the most amazing, wonderful life that's been like given to me as a gift, you know, and I'm endlessly grateful for it. Mm-hmm. Are you originally from South Africa? I am. Yes, I've been here 14 years in January. Yes. Oh wow! So, uh, how did you go from? Uh, how did you come to America? Was it to to be an actor? Um, it actually wasn't. Um. I met someone online, we got friendly, we got super friendly, then I came out Uh here on a fiancé visa. Um, That relationship has since sort of died a natural death, and we're still friends, but we have Uh moved on. Um, But I'm still here. (laughs) (laughs) And it was just blind luck that brought me to Los Angeles, (laughs) you know. I had acted on stage and a bit in radio since I was six years old. So I was no stranger to acting, but I was very strange to film acting because we didn't have a film industry where I grew up, Um, Mm -hmm. not the small town that I grew up in at all. So I was very, very happy to suddenly find myself in Los Angeles and find myself in a place where I was able to start going out for film. Yeah. So what, what are the differences once you started to do film acting as opposed to a stage acting? Um, size, size of performance, actually, um, with stage, literally you act for the back row of the theater, no matter if it's a 50 seater or if it's a 500 seater. And I've, I've acted in both. Um, your performance is much bigger and you are very aware of the audience. And it's like this reciprocal relationship with the audience the whole time, especially in comedy, as in you give to them, they give back to you and you adjust your performance to give back to them. Um, in drama or musical, not so much because their reaction isn't so obvious as in comedy. Um, but with film, the relationship is you and your scene partner. It's not even you and the camera because you're supposed to act like the camera ain't there, right? 
Mm-hmm. So the relationships are much smaller. The performances are much more contained, more subdued. That's not necessarily less powerful, but just smaller. That's mm-hmm. the difference. And if you're crossing over from stage to screen like I did, you have to learn that. I mean, it took me a while to figure that out. You know, mm-hmm. you don't just go, ah, yes, I'll do this now. No. Um, in my early film auditions, I used to give my performance, think I was, I was fine. And then they used to say, oh, you're theater, aren't you? And I used to take that as a compliment, but actually what they were saying is, oh, you don't know there's a difference between stage acting and screen acting yet. Okay, run along, go play in the traffic. (laughs) You know? Uh Yeah. But when I figured that out, and I was able to adjust my performance and able to tap into the level of emotionality that I needed when I was on screen, that's when I started booking film. You know, so it's it's very interesting. There are mm-hmm. definite differences. I mean, some, like uh, Elizabeth Taylor, for instance, she was film, purely film, and she was never able to transition to stage. Mm. But others can. Julie Andrews was mm-hmm. stage, grew up stage, transitioned over to film. You know, it's, it's an interesting game, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the beginning, when we started talking, you mentioned um, uh, with about your mom got you into, into movies. Um, is she still alive? Did she get to uh, see you uh, in movies? No, she passed in 2001. Oh, sorry. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it was, what, four years before I even got to Los Angeles. So, yeah, she didn't even know I was going to be... Not that I knew it at that stage at all. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, you know, on your ID, IMDb, IMDb page, there's, you know, tons of stuff there. Uh, so what what are you working on currently? Currently, I'm in the middle of shooting a thriller called Fear Binds. Um, we had our first, well, my first day um, on Sunday in San Diego, actually. Um, and I'm going to have several further days. Um, probably next year on that. I am off to Arizona on January 3rd for Eminence Hill. Um, I have pickups and further shoots for the apocalyptic thriller Bab and the comedy horror Danny and the Vampire in January. Um, Possibly I will be going back to South Africa in late January, February to shoot a film called Hear No Evil and also another film that I might do while I'm there. Um, maybe in March I will go to Pennsylvania to shoot Latent with um, Polestar Studios. April, I have two projects coming up, but I'm not going to tell you what they are right now because I don't know if I can yet. All right. And I am attached to several other productions that say they're shooting in spring and summer. Um, within, in the indie world, um, you just have to wait and see if it happens. Mm-hmm. Um including uh, Death Care, including Where Birds Don't Fly, um, and several others that are supposed to be happening then, but we'll see when they do happen. But I I have a busy year coming up, and I've just come off of a busy year. I've shot 16 features, um, and they range from still being shot to in post-production to released like Krampus Origins, you know, mm. to about to go on the festival circuit sort of thing. 
you know, mm-hmm. but yes, I played in 16 features, and I know that because I counted them, <laughs> <laughs> and shorts, and commercials, and whatever else I might have done during the year, so I've had a busy year, yeah. very lucky. Oh, yeah. So, Is you mentioned the, the most work you've done in a year? Yes, actually. Um, yeah, number-wise, yes. Yeah, that just wise, sounds yes. like it so is. much. It is. Yes. Um, I actually posted it on, on a, in a Facebook group the other day, and some guy came back to me and said, no, dude, how can you, do, how can you shoot 16 films a year? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, I'm a character actress, which means I'm a supporting actress. Um, if I get three or four days on an indie film, that's what, 75, 80, 90 days a year that I'm shooting, and there's 365 days a (laughs) year, I can easily do 16. I can do 25, you know, just for (laughs) things. Yeah, so, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I saw on your Twitter, I I have to know what this is from, because you you have different pictures of the day, which is very cool, and there's one uh, where you were a tree, and it's very cool. Uh, <laughs> that time I was a tree. Yes. Yeah. Um, there I play the demon. I think it's pronounced Eopodian. Who knows? Um, <laughs> from the anthology horror film, The Sunday Night Slaughter, from um, Ted Payson and an anti-hero production. That is currently in post-production. I'm actually scheduled to do some ADR on it over the next few weeks. Okay, so, very cool. Yes, hopefully yeah. that one will come out sometime next year. Yeah, anthologies have become uh, popular over the last few years, which is cool by me because I, mm-hmm. I love anthology movies. You know, growing up, Creepshow and Tales from the Crypt and uh, Tales from the Dark Side, all kinds of them. Yeah, there's yeah. been a lot. Yeah. I think there was but, Holidays uh, and there was XX and a lot of them out there, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for, for current ones. Well, why do you think that is that they've uh, become popular over the last few years? Maybe because it's easier to make a short than it is a feature. Mm. You know, it's easy, digestible chunks sort of thing. Yeah. You know, fine, I will shoot my short film over this weekend. Then I will go into hiding and start taking over the world with my next short film sort of thing. Instead of, Uh okay, I'm now going to set three weeks of my life and everybody else's life aside to do this (laughs) entire feature. Yeah. You know, and find the money to pay for an entire feature instead of, finding the money to pay for this weekend short film. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. that could possibly be a contributing factor. Mm-hmm. When you mentioned uh, festivals, uh, do you go to many festivals yourself? Do you, uh, and what's it like to see yourself on the big screen with an audience? Um, it's interesting. My mind is not flattering. I would probably say, oh, my God, I look fat or something like that. And then concentrate on looking at the chair in the corner of the screen instead (laughs) of on me sort of thing. Um, If the festivals are in Los Angeles and if I'm not shooting or something, then, yes, I will go to them. Um, If the festivals are outside of Los Angeles, it gets very expensive to go, sometimes one, two thousand dollars, you know, for everything, flights and transportation and accommodation and tickets and everything. So mm-hmm. that's 
generally not on the menu for me, unfortunately. But if yeah. they're here, if they're in LA, yes, yes, I will go unless I'm shooting or auditioning or something like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know how how can people uh, how can people follow you online for your social media? Oh, I'm under every rock. Ha ha ha. Um, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at Maria Olson six six. Find me on Instagram at Maria Olson six six. Um, Facebook, I have my personal page. I'm maxed out on friends, so mm-hmm. either follow me or come say hi on my fan page, um, which is Maria Olson fan page. I also have, for the actors you're listening out there and the filmmakers, I have a casting group called the Monster Shares Auditions, where I share audition notices that I find on Facebook. Because, hey, we're all looking for that next audition, aren't we? So people can join me there. People can message me on Facebook anytime. I'm very responsive to messages. Email. My email address is on IMDb. It's like I'm easy to find. I really am. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Well, it was awesome to talk to you. And I would love to have you back when uh, some of these movies come out. Oh, yeah. That would be great. Thank you so much. Yes. Especially I spit on your grave deja vu. That's <laughs> going to be interesting. Yeah, I'm like I've been looking forward to it, and uh, I'm glad that it's actually coming out too. Let's yeah, see. that is good to hear. Oh yeah, yeah. There was never any question. It was just they're going to go through post at their own pace, you know. <laughs> and we knew that, of course, but you guys don't. Yeah, so I right. totally get it. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. All right. Well, thank, thank you for doing you this. So it's been awesome. For having me. Yeah. Yeah. Thank really you for time. having me. This has been wonderful. Yay. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> You gave me life, you showed me love, you sang me songs, you got above, you taught me what it is to give. Now it's time. For you to go And Lord knows that I'll miss you so Because you showed me How to live So dragonfly Fly away Go and find A better place Faith that we Be okay Leave the sun from well behind And find a light on the other side I'll see you again someday I'll hold you again someday is near but only here there is no end so have no fear your wings will take you to the stars and as we spiral into space you'll be shining on in endless grace and always mend my broken heart 
So dragonfly, fly away, go and find a better place. If faith in we be okay, and leave the sun from well behind, and find the light on the other side. I'll see you again someday. Hold you again someday. Fly, fly away. Go and find a better place. Faith that we be okay. And leave the sun from well behind. Find the light on the other side. I'll see you again someday. Better place. I'll see you again someday. Hold you again someday. Hi, this is Michael Ironside, and you're listening without your head. <laughs> <laughs> 